Blog Talk Radio. It's time to strap our boots on. This is a perfect day to die. Wipe the blood out of our eyes. In this life, there's no surrender. And there's nothing left for us to do. Find the strength to see this through. to Bard's Logic, Political Talk, part of the grassroots conservative conversation. Uh, welcome back tonight. Uh, I know we were out for a couple weeks. One was uh, two weeks ago was from some undue uh, technical difficulties uh, trying to get uh, even myself uh, into the platform of the show. And then last week, unfortunately, I was sick and not coronavirus. Uh, just a uh, upper respiratory infection. Uh, I'm still kind of battling a little bit. I think it's getting better, better a little bit each day. Um, and so uh, hopefully by St. Patrick's Day, it'll be all gone because uh, on St. Patrick's Day, I turned into a leprechaun. And so I <laughs> it don't exist. <clears throat> Excuse me. So you might hear some uh, coughs there, and I apologize. It is kind of come unannounced <laughs> when they come up. And so uh, tonight, of course, we are going to be talking about the uh, coronavirus uh, hysteria, as I would like to call it. 
I'm not saying it's not serious. I'm not saying we shouldn't do anything about it. I'm just saying the level of panic that I've been seeing, I, I do not think is par with what the concern actually should be, at least with the level of what people are doing. You know, buying up hand sanitizer and masks and toilet paper, for heaven's sake. And the you know, schools closing and the NBA not having people there. I mean, you know, I, I know they want to take steps, but I think we don't want to make, t- take steps to hurt the economy. I mean, one statistic I have here uh, is that, I mean, on average, about 37,000 people a year in the United States die of car accidents. But I don't see anyone banning uh, car travel or traveling by cars or driving. I don't see any bans on that, of course. Why not? Well, I think how much of a damage the economy. So, of course, you know, we do need to address the uh, coronavirus. I don't think there's, you know, we, we should be panicking and, and definitely doing things that would hurt the economy, which Trump's address tonight is trying to alleviate. And I do have the address. We'll go and play it shortly. I know we have uh, folks who do want to get chimed in. Uh, his remarks are only about 12 minutes, and I do want to start the show off with those. And we can certainly make comments on what he said. So other comments, so, you know, I know you guys have, so I, I do see on the on the line. Uh, so I will get uh, you into the show. Uh, I am going to play that first, uh, and then we're going to go over that. And so uh, what we got here again, it's uh, Trump uh, addressed the uh, nation tonight. And, of course, that is due, I think, to the World Health Organization, you know, deeming this a pandemic, which – you know, I mean, comparing it to other others that we've seen, you know, through time, I just don't. Again, I don't even think of it if this goes on the same level as as a pandemic. Uh, but we'll see. And I, I think we might. I don't even know if we could say we're even in the early stages of the game with this. Uh, I know we may. You know, we know how viruses go, and, and you know, as well as the flu and things of that nature. But we'll see. Uh, we'll see. But let me. Uh, Get that for us uh, tonight, and you know, again, he just addressed the folk, uh, the folks. He addressed the American people tonight uh, about you know, about three, about nine p.m. Uh, Eastern time. Uh, so let me get this uh, squared away for us, uh, so we can hear what uh, his remarks are about you know moving forward and, and handling this coronavirus, not only, of course, you know, medically, uh, but also what are we going to do, you know, what his administration is going to do, you know, economically, so we're not going to see this big of an impact. Coronavirus outbreak that started in China and is now spreading throughout the world. Today, the World Health Organization officially announced that this is a global pandemic. We have been in frequent contact with our allies, and we are marshalling the full power of the federal government and the private sector to protect the American people. This is the most aggressive and comprehensive effort to confront a foreign virus in modern history. I am confident that by counting and continuing to take these tough measures, we will significantly reduce the threat to our citizens and we will ultimately and expeditiously defeat this virus. From the beginning of time, nations and people have faced unforeseen challenges, including large-scale and very dangerous health threats. 
This is the way it always was and always will be. It only matters how you respond, and we are responding with great speed and professionalism. Our team is the best anywhere in the world. At the very start of the outbreak, we instituted sweeping travel restrictions on China and put in place the first federally mandated quarantine in over 50 years. We declared a public health emergency and issued the highest level of travel warning on other countries as the virus spread its horrible infection. And taking early, intense action, we have seen dramatically fewer cases of the virus in the United States than are now present in Europe. The European Union failed to take the same precautions and restrict travel from China and other hotspots. As a result, a large number of new clusters in the United States were seeded by travelers from Europe. After consulting with our top government health professionals, I have decided to take several strong but necessary actions to protect the health and well-being of all Americans. To keep new cases from entering our shores, we will be suspending all travel from Europe to the United States for the next 30 days. The new rules will go into effect Friday at midnight. These restrictions will be adjusted subject to conditions on the ground. There will be exemptions for Americans who have undergone appropriate screenings, and these prohibitions will not only apply to the tremendous amount of trade and cargo, but various other things as we get approval. Anything coming from Europe to the United States is what we are discussing. These restrictions will also not apply to the United Kingdom. At the same time, we are monitoring the situation in China and the South Korea, and as their situation improves, we will reevaluate the restrictions and warnings that are currently in place for a possible early opening. Earlier this week, I met with the leaders of health insurance industry who have agreed to waive all co-payments for coronavirus treatments, extend insurance coverage to these treatments, and to prevent surprise medical billing. We are cutting massive amounts of red tape to make antiviral therapies available in record time. These treatments will significantly reduce the impact and reach of the virus. Additionally, last week I signed into law an $8.3 billion funding bill to help CDC and other government agencies fight the virus and support vaccines, treatments, and distribution of medical supplies. Testing and testing capabilities are expanding rapidly day by day. We are moving very quickly. The vast majority of Americans, the risk is very, very low. Young and healthy people can expect to recover fully and quickly if they should get the virus. The highest risk is for elderly population with underlying health conditions. The elderly population must be very, very careful. In particular, we are strongly advising that nursing homes for the elderly suspend all medically unnecessary visits. In general, older Americans should also avoid non-essential travel in crowded areas. My administration is coordinating directly with communities with largest outbreaks, and we have issued guidance on school closures, social distancing, and reducing large gatherings. Smart action today will prevent the spread of the virus 
tomorrow. Every community faces different risks, and it is critical for you to follow the guidelines of your local officials who are working closely with our federal health experts, and they are the best. For all Americans, it is essential that everyone take extra precautions and practice good hygiene. Each of us has a role to play in defeating this virus. Wash your hands, clean often used surfaces, cover your face and mouth if you sneeze or cough, and most of all, if you are sick or not feeling well, stay home. To ensure that working Americans impacted by the virus can stay home without fear of financial hardship, I will soon be taking emergency action, which is unprecedented, to provide financial relief. This will be targeted for workers who are ill, quarantined, or caring for others due to coronavirus. I will be asking Congress to take legislative action to extend this relief. Because of the economic policies that we have put into place over the last three years, we have the greatest economy anywhere in the world by far. Our banks and financial institutions are fully capitalized and incredibly strong. Our unemployment is at a historic low. This vast economic prosperity gives us flexibility, reserves, and resources to handle any threat that comes our way. This is not a financial crisis. This is just a temporary moment of time that we will overcome together as a nation and as a world. However, to provide extra support for American workers, families, and businesses, tonight I am announcing the following additional actions. I am instructing the Small Business Administration to exercise available authority to provide capital and liquidity to firms affected by the coronavirus. Effective immediately, the SBA will begin providing economic loans in affected states and territories. These low interest loans will help small businesses overcome temporary economic disruptions caused by the virus. To this end, I am asking Congress to increase funding for this program by an additional $50 billion. Using emergency authority, I will be instructing the Treasury Department to defer tax payments without interest or penalties for certain individuals and businesses negatively impacted. This action will provide more than $200 billion of additional liquidity to the economy. Finally, I am calling on Congress to provide Americans with immediate payroll tax relief. Hopefully, they will consider this very strongly. We are at a critical time in the fight against the virus. We made a life-saving move with early action on China. Now we must take the same action with Europe. We will not delay. I will never hesitate to take any necessary steps to protect the lives, health, and safety of the American people. I will always put the well-being of America first. If we are vigilant and we can reduce the chance of infection, which we will, we will significantly impede the transmission of the virus. The, the virus will not have a chance against us. No nation is more prepared or more resilient than the United States. We have the best economy, the most advanced healthcare, and the most talented doctors, scientists, and researchers anywhere in the world. We are all in this together. We must put politics aside, stop the partisanship, 
and unified together as one nation and one family. As history has proven time and time again, Americans always rise to the challenge and overcome adversity. Our future remains brighter than anyone can imagine. Acting with compassion and love, we will heal the sick, care for those in need, help our fellow citizens, and emerge from this challenge stronger and more unified than ever before. God bless you, and God bless America. Thank you. President Trump in the Oval Office tonight, his second Oval Office address. Coronavirus outbreak. Sorry about that, folks. Um, yeah, there's uh, the president uh, was addressing uh, the country. Uh, I've got my own comments, but we'll uh, hold off on those because I do want to bring in uh, some folks. Uh, first, we'll bring in uh, uh, Joseph, and then we'll bring in Dr. Tolbert. We'll get you into the show, certainly, uh, and then uh, – We'll uh, move on with uh, with my comments because I definitely have uh, some there. But let's go ahead and first welcome uh, Joseph there in Hawaii. Thank you very much, Joseph, for coming to the show. How are you tonight? Uh, I'm I'm doing good. Thank you for asking. It's great to be back on the show. I uh, I know you had some technical difficulties. Uh, there's a first for everything, but uh, you got through it, and uh, I'm glad uh, you're feeling much better than you were last week. So. Oh yeah, I actually missed a, a day and a half of work myself, which is definitely it was certainly a rarity for me. So <laughs> definitely, um, uh, I saw the uh, uh, address that the president made, and uh, like I said, I, I think he's taking unprecedented actions that no other administration has taken before, pertaining to uh, an outbreak of a virus. We all know how uh, Barack Obama poorly handled the Ebola um, outbreak and pandemic uh, when that broke out during his administration. And uh, not once did the mainstream media uh, go after him and attack him relentlessly. Of course not. Uh, You know, the mainstream media has uh, always been in the pockets of the Democratic Party for the longest time. Uh, Even when I was a progressive, I I, I knew that, you know. So uh, it's no hidden secret. And... uh, now they want to politicize this, uh, certain factions of the left, and uh, now they want to use it against them. But what they don't realize is uh, the rest of uh, America, uh, the other uh, 40% that are not progressives, and uh, the other uh, you know, um, 20% of independents that he, uh, you know, Donald Trump must garner to uh, successfully win re-election, they realize that the president is taking the right course of action. Uh, had he not taken the evasive actions that he uh, did uh, with China when this first started, and uh, I wouldn't even call him evasive. That's more like uh, you know mainstream media talk. Uh, we'd be talking about a, a completely different uh, story that would not be uh, that that wouldn't even be a pandemic. It, it would be a, a, a nationwide um, outbreak. Uh, affecting millions of Americans. I mean, forget it. Um, uh, Our stock markets would be plunging. Um, There would be uh, major uh, school closures, government offices closures, people being told to stay at home. Um, So, you know, the president has made the right call from the beginning, and I'm not trying to politicize it, but it will play into the reelection bid, and it will pay dividends to him because – he is requesting from Congress authorization 
for the payroll tax and um, credit and um, other economic means to uh, help out um, those who are affected by the coronavirus. Uh, only I know that Congress is not going to authorize it because they're controlled by the Democrats and they're going to try to politicize this. And for them to authorize it, uh, they would have to acknowledge that the president is handled this situation correct, and they refuse to acknowledge that. And yes, they will put American lives at stake just for their political beliefs and ideology. And in the end of the day, it will cost them severely in the ballot box because remember, 40% of Americans identify themselves as progressives. 40% of Americans identify themselves as Republicans. 20%, that is the block that either the left or the right must garner to win the presidency. Donald J. Trump was successful in doing so uh, back in 2016, and he has to be successful in doing so again in 2020 as uh, previous um, presidents were elected by going after the uh, most crucial voting block of all, uh, which is the um, independent voting block. Uh, I'll defer back to you, Robert. Yeah, and certainly, and Suzanne, we'll get you in as well. Is that, yeah, they've been doing nothing but politicizing it. And I mean, in just looking on, you know, on Twitter and probably even some Facebook, I, I don't, I'm not on Facebook as much as I used to be, but uh, most, mostly Twitter. But I mean, it just, What's going out there? Like even uh, even today, Adam Schiff uh, made a post uh, about I can't remember who he was responding to, uh, but you know, one uh, it was a, a Republican politician was referred to the to Chinese virus, and you know he was uh, Adam Schiff said, "Oh, you can't say that. That's racist." It's like how's it racist to talk about the origins of where the virus you know came from? And so they're, they're, they're still trying to spout that. I mean, and there's, there is a lot of folks uh, who who are on board, and I, I think more and more, as you you know pointed out, I think they're they're waking up to what the media is going to do. And I agree. I think this is going to end up just just hurting them if if, if the uh, the Democrats and the media continue on uh, the way they are. And so let's go ahead and uh, bring in um, Dr. Colbert, and then I'll bring in you, Suzette, and I, I want to go over the. Uh, the speech about thoughts on that as well. But first, let's go ahead. And it's good to hear from you again, uh, Dr. Tolbert. Thank you very much. At uh, least from Florida. Uh, thank you very much for coming to the show. How are you tonight? Thank you, and I really appreciate it. Now that we have the time zone difference, where I do my praying in Venezuela and get up at uh, hour earlier than normal, I'm able to come on. And what you both covered in 20 minutes is really going to be a repetition of what you're going to cover in the next two or three hours because you both covered with the radio or the television broadcast that the president covered the entire reasoning behind what is happening in America today, that the virus has became a political more than an actual academic, uh, where the individuals who president uh, restricting uh, people coming in and the impact that it's going to have on the economy rather than the fact that it's going to prevent the illnesses. Uh, his uh, doing what he's doing with the reduction of taxes, opening up the economic uh, boiling bar uh, to uh, block traveling from Europe, uh, uh, from Europe. And there is still a question, are you going to be allowed to leave the United States after Friday? I think that there's going to be a big 
economic issue with our airlines and the stock market. This is where the Democratic Party is blaming the, the failure of the president and the uh, reduction of the stock markets on his uh, ability to manage rather than to prevent the uh, colon virus to become worse. So all these issues, but there's a thing that people don't even understand. Influenza and other viruses of 12,000 plus deaths every year for the same lack of prevention. Uh, A lot of people are trying to buy and do things, but there's a simple solution. You go down to the store and you buy baby wipes and you buy a, a plastic bottle of rubbing alcohol. You pour the rubbing alcohol on the top of the baby wipes. And what you do is you keep one in the house and one in your car. Don't do this just for now. Do this all the time. When you walk in your house, make sure you keep things clean. Use the baby wipes. Use the alcohol. When you get in the car, clean your steering wheel. When you walk into places, wipe the uh, items and the things that you're touching and clean your hands when you leave. These are things that we should be doing on a daily basis because of the other flu and other uh, issues that we're having uh, that needed to be protected. Uh, They're not really going into what happened 10 years ago or five years ago. They're not talking about Obama. They're not talking about the preventions or that there's going to be the quest and uh, other uh, places are going to allow you to get a free examination, uh, that your medical insurance is open up so that there can be a reduction of cost. There's, there's a lot of things that people need to get checked with. So if you, if you have a sneeze or if you're doing something, just go down and get it checked. It's, it's not going to cost you anything. They're going to do it free. Did you get your original uh, flu shot? Did you take it like you should have? Uh, are you going to weaken your body where you catch the second one? All these factors, so you can catch the regular flu, your body gets weakened, then you catch the second, uh, the, the second one and the third one. And then you got the age status. They're saying that after 60-some years old, you have a more option to get sick flu than the younger generations. Uh, this is all being taken in consideration. Uh, people not properly uh, taking precautions. Uh, the travel bans, the restrictions of transportation, uh, the bus transportation, train transportation, all these factors are coming into play, and yet these are things that should be done on a daily basis, and we're doing it now. And I think Florida's had two deaths uh, that I know of. Uh, I don't know where we're at now in the entire United States. Uh, there is, are we at 30 now? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, compare that, how many people have died uh, from, uh, I think there's been, over a thousand plus that have died from influenza already this year, and, and nobody's taken protection or precautions. So I'm going to let Susan pick it up, but I think you guys are just going to find it's going to be hard not to just be repetitious of everything we say tonight. Go ahead. 
Well, great. And now we're going to sound like the mainstream media. I'm just kidding. Uh, yeah, we'll get Suzette in. We're, we're not going to just talk about coronavirus. Of course, we may talk about the, the 2020 you know, primary, the election as well. Uh, we'll be talking about that tonight, uh, too. I mean, I mean just the, the meteoric rise of, of Biden to the uh, to the, you know, the front runner uh, spot, just how that happened in the last two weeks is, is phenomenal. Uh, we're going to talk about that uh, as well. But first, you know, of course, we want to cover this topic. But we'll get Suzanne on after that. Uh, got Joseph. He's he's going to kind of give us, you know, how Hawaii is, is handling uh, the coronavirus and, and and how they may be over, you know, overreacting uh, in their response uh, to the uh, the coronavirus. But we'll, you know, we'll, we'll see. But we'll certainly have that discussion. But so we'll bring in uh, Suzanne, and then we'll bring it back to you. Uh, for that, Joseph, uh, I still got you know my comments here. We have plenty of time, so uh, let's go ahead and bring in Suzette uh, from California. So we've we've got a good spread uh, across the country uh, on what people are doing. And uh, my daughter goes to schools in Kentucky, which you know I'm real close to uh, here in Ohio. And you know they're talking about you know what if they're going to you know not quite close the school per se. But you know, like uh, cancel events. They're talking about canceling events like prom coming up, and they're also talking about, you know, having kids do their class online, you know, instead of going to class for, uh, you know, for school and, and things like that. So that's kind of some of the things they're doing here, uh, you know, in the Midwest, at least where I'm at. Uh, it sounds like, you know, we're going to hear more again from Joseph on Hawaii and then, you know, if, if Suzette's got anything in California, well, we all know about California, but. Go ahead, Suzanne, uh, for coming to the show. Thanks for calling in tonight. How are you? Oh, well, thank you. Good evening, gentlemen. Um, <laughs> thank you for taking my call. Uh, California, well, I don't know how, I guess, Los Angeles County is handling anything, but San Bernardino County, no problem. It's weird because it's like we don't even know anything's really going on. They're not, you know, charging the stores. There's no panic. There's no school closures. Everybody... Here, anyways, just seems to be going about life like normal. Um, it seems like once you cross that LA boundary there for, for the county, um, then you see panic <laughs> as far as store shelves emptying of toilet paper. Why toilet paper? I don't know. I don't get that. But uh, <laughs> somebody can well, I guess the figure. Well, I guess if they're my only thought on that, real quick, it's Cal's wondering about that as well. A lot of people make it fun. Uh, I guess that you're thinking if they have to self-quarantine inside their house for a couple of weeks, you probably aren't going to want to run out of toilet paper. But that's the only thing I can think of. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I I thought of that too. I thought, well, I guess toilet paper is more important than food. You know, I don't know. It's <laughs> surviving. <laughs> but the flu can kick in some other things that you may go through more toilet paper with. So. <laughs> yeah, I was kind of. Yeah, I was trying to avoid bringing that up, Suzette. So I'm, I'm glad you. I'm just kidding. Yeah. <laughs> yes, you make a good point. <laughs> um, Northern California, though, uh, they're they're closing down schools and stuff. There was a kid that had tested positive, and so they closed the school, and then the other schools decided to close too. So. I think it just seems to me, um, even though Governor Newsom, oddly enough, seems to be um, working with the president. And yeah, I know that's president. something, isn't it? Yeah, I never thought I'd heard word, word of praise come from his mouth. 
But, uh, well, and we need stuff like that. I mean, seriously, I mean, it shouldn't all – everything shouldn't all be partisan. I mean, I really think well, that this country is not to be able to get – you know, get to you know being great again, or even greater—not even great again, but greater—if we just can't, I mean, find something, you know, that we could actually work together on. You think besides the space program, of course, this would be something we should be able to come together on. And then, and he did mention that too when he made his announcement that um, you know now is not time for partisanship or politics, and now it's time to take care of people. So, um, give him credit for that where credit's due. But um, still, you still have cities that are dominant Democrat, and I don't know if their intent is really to protect the people or or if there are ulterior, ulterior motives. Because the way the economy is going with the stock market, you know, first of all, they tell people, Trump people and Trump, that the stock market doesn't apply to everybody. It's only people that have money that have that care about the stock market. So for him to keep touting the stock market, but now all of a sudden, look at the stock market. Look at he's crashing our economy. <laughs> yeah, that's a good <laughs> point. Yeah, definitely a good point. <laughs> so I I don't know. I I think that um the people who work and pay attention and know that as far as the economy goes, that it will bounce back because we were on a trajectory of an upwards bound. And because of this coronavirus, it was an unforeseen thing that came through. You know, things are tanking, but it's not like it couldn't recover once, you know, it's contained and and people are getting better. And another thing is, is that just because you get the coronavirus doesn't mean you're going to die. Again, Dr. Talbert or or Joe, one of the two brought up the age factor, and that that is a major thing. Unless, of course, you are young and you have underlying health issues, you know, you really don't have much to worry about from what I understand um, and what I'm seeing worldwide as far as the reported people being sick and their age groups. So, uh, anyway, that's all I had to add to that. Thank you. Oh, you're welcome. And then, oh, no, yeah, go ahead. See, see my voice is going with Michael. What I got going on? Go ahead, Dr. Yeah, I just want to bring up the fact that in this particular virus, it likes cold. It doesn't like warm. And we always think the virus is going to be more susceptible of growth in warm uh, climate rather than cold climate. For some reason, this particular virus, they're saying, you know, be careful drinking cold water. Be careful of eating ice cream. Uh, These items allow the virus to grow even better, whereas if you just drink regular tap water, and you need to drink a lot of water because of your throat and the virus, but you're better to drink tap water, not necessarily tap, but just, you know, the drinking water, just don't keep it refrigerated. Uh, A lot of the things are uh, absolutely thought. Also, the virus uh, is a bigger uh, virus than the other ones, Uh, so it is more restricted in face masks than the influenza, which is a smaller agent and can come in quicker. So there's a lot of things that are happening uh, that are just typically that we do that we have to really rethink. And this is some of the areas that are not being brought to the attention of, like I know people that won't drink nothing but cold water. Right now, cold water is not the thing to drink. you got to drink room temperature. Sounds silly. Nope. But that's I, I fall under that category, Dr. Tolbert. 
And yeah. I like and your idea, Dr. Talbert, about the alcohol and the baby life. So I'm going to make sure I take care of that tonight. Yeah, and that's a simple thing. You know, people can't. I was talking to my son who's daughter in Fort Lauderdale, they can't buy anything. And I tell everybody, it's simple. Just go down, buy the baby wipes. They're $2. You get 120 of them. You pay less than a dollar for a bottle of alcohol. You pour the alcohol in it. You let it set for a couple hours. It soaks down through it. And now you've got your hands clean, clean your refrigerator. When you get in your car, clean your steering wheel. Uh, when you get out of the store, just carry it with you. And it's, it's, it's an everyday thing. You don't have to spend a thousand dollars. You can do it very cheap. And it's a way to go about things. So thank you, Robert, for letting me speak tonight. Oh, you're welcome. Anytime. And then you know, points I want to make, uh, you know, on, and there's some background stuff going on. I don't know who, who that's coming from. But uh, anyway, so, you know, some points I wanted to make, you know, while listening to. Uh, his speech tonight is you know, one of the things that actually this kind of took me by surprise, and I, and I wonder how this is going to impact uh, things. Is when he's talking about starting Friday, the restrictions from Europe, and we're talking not only passengers, but we're talking about a restriction of cargo. But you know what? Actually, let's go ahead and uh, b- b- before I do that, let's just go ahead and bring uh, it back to you, uh, Joseph, because I know we're going to talk. You were going to talk about. You know what what they're doing and what how they're quote unquote handling things there in Hawaii. Go ahead and how it's it's even worse than what <laughs> what we're hearing here over in the mainland. Go ahead. Definitely, it's 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 uh, we rank uh, the state most affected by it because we rely on eighty percent of our products to be shipped in from the mainland. So if there's a shortage in the mainland of products. And supplies that are shipped over to Hawaii, then the shortages are going to be 10 times worse. So um, just like you were discussing before, people are buying up toilet paper. Now, the reasoning I got behind that is because one of the symptoms of um, the coronavirus, which is very similar to the symptoms of a flu, is you tend to get diarrhea. And so people are panicking that uh, if, God forbid, they were uh, martial uh, law and martial order was uh, – martial law was instated and they had to be, uh, you know, um, isolated in their homes for a certain period of time, uh, the panic and the reasoning behind that is they wanted to make sure they had enough toilet paper to um, wipe their bottoms. Uh, so um, – What's happening now in Hawaii is you can't find toilet paper, you cannot find sanitizer, you cannot find Clorox wipes, you cannot find paper towels, and you cannot find disinfecting spray anywhere. I've been to Sam, I've been to Costco, I've been to Target, I've been to Walmart, uh, I've been to CVS, I've been to Walgreens. The reasoning behind that is they said they're getting in maybe... 10 sanitizers per day, maybe 10 packages of toilet paper per day. And once that goes on the shelf, you just have to be there at the right place at the right time. Basically, you'd have to live or camp outside of a Walmart or a Target, et cetera, because they fly off the shelf so quickly. To the point where I went to a CVS yesterday and they were rationing the sanitizer. They had a few bottles left of the eight-flow-ounce pump, and they said only one purchase 
per person. And I'm like, you got to be kidding me, right? And they're like, no, we're not kidding you. Yeah, they're doing that here too. Yeah, and the box was behind the the register. So luckily I had a tourist that was next to me, and we found the loophole. And she said, okay, I'll buy it on your behalf. Um, So it's the quantities that we're having access to that are greatly diminished because of the shipments from the mainland. So, and I think Suzette can attest to this from California. If you were to walk into a California Walmart um, or a Sam's or a Costco, you'd have a better chance of getting a hold of those items because they're, they're stocking more of those items in the mainland. But the negative effect is the more they decide to stock in the mainland, the less sending in units over here to Hawaii. And so that's the problem. Um, my landlord was gracious enough to be able to um, actually get toilet paper uh, ordered and mailed uh, in a shipment. And that's how I was able to get access to toilet paper. The shipment came in today. Um, so it, it's, it's that bad. Um, and uh, people are hyperventilating. Also, travel between Hawaii and Japan and South Korea now have restrictions that were put in place prior to President Trump speaking today, because I have two Japanese friends. And they're telling me that if they decide to go back to Tokyo, they have to stay in that city for up to 30 days. If they leave that city radius, they'll be forced to be quarantined, even if they don't have the symptoms. But if they decide Korea, they can move anywhere they want within South Korea without having to be quarant- without the threat of having to be quarantined like they're doing in Japan. Uh, but that's soon to change based on what President Trump is, is saying. I think it's going to put the heat on South Korea. So the loophole for many Japanese is now they're going to South Korea and they're waiting it out because they don't want to be in a scenario where they have to leave Tokyo, they have to go to another city, and then boom. They're stuck in quarantine, whether they have the symptoms or not, because that's that's just the mandate that the the politicians are putting out there. And South um, Korea also has checkpoints or or drive-through um, test testing places as well. Uh, not checkpoints, but if you want to get tested, you think you have may have the virus, you can drive through and be tested, which is pretty cool. And I think we just started that too in one of our states. I can't remember uh, what state it is. Um, and they're testing that out to see how that works out. So. In in South Korea, right, Suzette, with the yes. drive-throughs. Uh-huh. Okay, so yes. that's 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 good to know, and that's that's kind of sad because you would think Japan would be more advanced and more prepared than anyone else in Asia because you know they're always every few years. Have, I I feel sorry for the Japanese because they have to deal with earthquakes every two years, uh, volcanoes erupting. Um, soon, you know, tsunami. They deal with that. You know, they live like that, right, Suzette? I mean, that's really oh, tough yeah. to live like that. And I don't know how they do it because they're so calm when it happens. But you know, I'm, I'm, I'm guessing that's why they're being more stringent on the coronavirus. And I guess South Korea is being much more, more lax. Well, South Korea. Um, I read recently, um, like yesterday recently, that they're actually getting a um, getting a hold of the virus. As far as okay, so we put these things in place, and we're finding that even though um, 
there they may have people that are still getting it. There are less people that are dying and more people recovering. So um, that's what they're Thank you, Suzette. On. That's that's good to know. And also, one other thing, Suzette, and everyone else who's on the show, Dr. Tolbuck Robert, my friend told me it only costs 150 U.S. dollars in South Korea to get tested for the coronavirus. They have already the test kits where you could just go, even if you don't have the symptoms, you just want to know if you have it or not. Um, right, right. Prior to Trump making that speech where he said he was going to, you know, include it in the uh, health insurance plan. Um, And he said the test kits prior to today uh, were about 1,500, uh, 1,500 to 3,000 in the United States to get tested. If you just want to get tested, even though you don't have the symptoms. Holy cow. And I think uh, that's now going to change with, based on what uh, President Trump was explaining with uh, what he was going to do with the uh, health insurance companies to make sure that they cover uh, the testings and things of that nature. Uh, but thank you, Suzette. I didn't know that about the drive-thrus in, uh, um, uh, in South Korea. But, yeah, it, it is, it is kind of sad. That's what a lot of Japanese and even different people from different Asian countries who are, who are here right now in Hawaii on vacation – Mm-hmm. Uh, didn't see this coming from a mile away, and now Japan is saying you can come, but you're isolated to, to whatever city you go to, whether that's Tokyo or Okinawa. Once you leave that, right, exactly. Mm-hmm. But the loophole is now everyone is just going to South Korea and waiting it out because in South Korea they don't have those bans in place. You could move from any city you want uh, free, as uh, 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 like a free person. Uh, without the, you know, the threat of being quarantined. And I'll, right. I'll give it back well, to you, Rob. They do and have one that city well. that's locked down, uh, quarantined, and uh, I can look that up for you. But the rest of the area, yes, you can move about freely. But, yeah, Hawaii, Alaska, I never figured those two states would ever be, you know, hit at all for some reason. I don't know why, but I just figured you're out there, you know, in the middle of the ocean, um, and so you guys would be safe, but I, then I didn't think about the flights, you know, that go in and the Asian population there on the island. Um, as, as you know, uh, Joe, I used to live there in Oahu, so um, I oh, know wow. about the, the shipments. So yeah, I, did, oh, yeah, I the, didn't know you used to live in Oahu. If you don't mind me asking, what part of Oahu did you live uh, live at uh, reside in? Oh, my ex husband was a Marine, so we were stationed there at Camp Smith, and so we stayed in Salt Lake. We had an apartment there. And then we got nice. housing on the um, Aliamano Crato area. Oh, okay, yeah. So the Salt Lake area is right by the uh, the airport, but it's an essential. It's central Oahu, which is a, a nice, quiet suburb. And um, as Suzette also pointed out, um, you know, and Suzette, you living here must know that the number one uh, tourism that we get here are, are 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 Japanese. So that's really affecting a lot of Japanese that came here on vacation before these uh, quarantine mandates were put in, in into effect. And now mm-hmm. they're like having to literally, t- I was speaking with a friend the other day, he's like, I literally got to spend thousands of dollars now to change my ticket to South Korea. And that's the loophole that we got to go through because I'm afraid to go back to Japan. And if I step outside my city, I don't want to be stuck in a quarantine facility for 14 days or more, miss my work and, you know, et cetera, and, and so the Japanese are starting to panic, uh, the Japanese that are here, not so much yeah. the Japanese that are over there because they're kind of stuck in limbo over here. Right, right. Yeah, that would really be a, 
a, a hassle, not knowing what's going to happen. If they're going to continue, yeah, for how long they're going to be stuck there. Oh, that's awful. Exactly. And I defer back to you, Robert. Yeah, and the, one of the things that, you know, I was mentioning is, you know, that it kind of surprised me, but, you know, and, and we'll see how this uh, will affect, you know, again, one of our – my biggest concern. I mean, of course, we don't want people to get sick and die, things of that nature, but uh, I'm, my concern is, of course, you know, the economy, and, of course, you do have folks out there, you know, on the left, and I'm talking not, – not, not just politicians, I'm sure them too, and including the media – is that there? I mean, there's actually people out there who want people to get sick. They want this thing to get, you know, out of control. They want uh, the economy to tank because they think this is going to hurt, you know, uh, Trump's chances of getting, you know, you know, getting reelected. You know, like I've seen tweets where people are like, oh well, you know, maybe people should go to Trump. You know, someone with uh, the coronavirus should go to a Trump rally and cough on everybody. And I'm like, you know, if, what if we were to say something like that and say, well, maybe someone with the coronavirus should, you know, shake hands and cough on Ruth Bader Ginsburg. You know, what would they say if we, you know, if we were to say something like that? You know, so it's, it's actually ridiculous. <laughs> if we did that. You know, and, you know, so it's, so it's ridiculous that people are, you know, are saying that. So, but, but anyway, with the economy, I'm wondering what this, this 30-day ban on Europe is is going to do. I mean, not as I'm stating, not only with passengers, but we're also talking about cargo. I mean, I don't know how much you know trade to be honest with you with you know with Europe, uh, and of course, and I do wonder why. And and this kind of stands with when we had uh, Mark Bellington on a couple of weeks ago when he was talking about you know there still is the. Uh, you know the British Empire, so to speak, uh, and how he's kind of suspicious of, of England. I, I, but I do find out, I, I do find it interesting that we're going to ban all of you. And there wasn't a lot of explanation. Maybe he'll be asked about it, and you know, just it, it needs to be asked by someone who actually is, is supportive and not just going to try to use it as a, a political, you know, a pointing, a pointing stick at him. Is that if we're going to, besides Brexit? I mean, if we're going to, you know, halt travel uh, from Europe, why is Great Britain excluded? Uh, that, 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 I found that kind of interesting. And there wasn't really elaboration, and maybe we'll get that in the upcoming, you know, days or so. Uh, but there wasn't a lot of elaboration on why we're still going to accept things from Great Britain I mean, maybe because they don't have very many cases in Great Britain compared to other parts of uh, Europe, such as Italy. But, but I did, I did find that little the point interesting. Uh, so, I mean, I, I, anyone got want to speak on that, Doctor Tolbert or, or you know, Joseph or Suzanne? I mean, anyone to make a point? You know, did anyone else observe that when they, you know, or had any thoughts on that? Is what I meant. Uh, when, when you heard that part of his speech tonight? Well, I think I, I'm sorry, I Robert. No, you go ahead, Suzette. My apologies. No, no, not at all. Um, I, I was just going to say, it, it, I think Brexit has a lot to do with it, and uh, you know, Trump promised that he would be there to support them if they did it. Uh, you know, follow through with Brexit, and so um, because 
they need that support right now because they could actually, the European Union could actually use that against them because of the support that they'll need. So he's being, he's he's uh, he's trying to be there for them, I think. And while these other our other countries also need you know support too, but they're on a different level than than um, the people in Great Britain because um, they're they're totally on their own. They're just starting, and they're just so they need that support. So he doesn't want to cut them off. I, in my opinion, anyway. Um, remember Barack Obama had told uh, them. Great Britain, if you do follow through with Brexit, you're going to be at the end of the line as far as for trade, and we don't even know then what's going to happen. So that didn't help them very much. But when Trump was elected, he said um, that they would be at the front of the line, they would be supported. Um, there's no reason they need to stay with the European Union um, because we will do trade with you. We will work out trade. It'll be good. It'll be beautiful. <laughs> so anyway, back to you, Robert. And Joseph, you want to chime in on that? Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more with Suzette. Um, I know the uh, mainstream media is already devouring the fact that he excluded uh, Great Britain from this. I'm actually seeing uh, a pandemic on CNN and MSNBC, so uh, watch out. We may catch the uh, uh, ignorant MSNBC uh, progressive virus or the uh, CNN <laughs> virus. So let's, 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 let's all be careful because uh, – you know, we, we, example from the travel ban. Well, Dr. Tober? We definitely don't want to become a Bernie crap, that's for sure. But, yeah, right now I'm actually watching it, and it, it, it's, it's sad in an ironic way. It's laughable, but only in an ironic way, because now they're saying that uh, he's the most racist president in United States history, um, oh my God. You know, by by excluding uh, Great Britain, and I'm thinking, are you smarter than a fifth grader? They're no longer part of the EU; they're separate. Hello, ding-a-ling-a-ling. Is there a, a pulse or is there an IQ there? Anyone, please. So, um, also, I was listening to a Democratic commentator the other day, and she was saying, I forgot the Hanoi. Um, some city in China with an H, and they were calling it the Hanoi epidemic. And they says, "Oh, that's racist by calling it by calling the city by its name in China. That's the Republicans being racist against the Chinese. How dare they equate the coronavirus with the name of the city where it's spreading out?" And I'm thinking, "You gotta be kidding me! You just don't make this stuff up." I don't know who's dumber, Joe Biden or uh, the actual base that's uh, going to be voting for him. And and the sad part is, and the reality is, why, and, and you brought up a valid point at the beginning of the show, Robert, why are people overreacting to this so-called pandemic is because more people than ever in the history of televised TV and journalism are relying on their information from the mainstream media. And the mainstream media is creating that panic and fear-mongering all for a political goal, to promote the Democratic Party and to make it seem that the Trump administration, this is Trump's Katrina. And they don't care if they do it at the expense of the American people because they can care less about the American people. They're only concerned about protecting the progressive base. So you got to remember, a lot of people 
are not knowledgeable. And so they rely on the mainstream media for their news. I mean, if you think about it, CBS, NBC, ABC, and then the local outlets in the different states and cities, like California has the CBS local version of it. Then you have MSNBC, CNN. So they're relying on that. And you know what? They don't want to seek the truth. So I can in and they could say the end of the world is going to come tomorrow and everyone would be rushing to all the stores right now um, and buying up uh, the last, uh, you know, stack of canned foods for the final supper. And I'm not kidding. They would because they listen to the news and to them that's fact. They don't question it and they don't question it because it fits in their narrative. It fits their ideological uh, liberal narrative, and so it, you know, it's they, it, it makes them feel good, um, and that's 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 a big problem in America that we have to seriously address. And I know Robert, you've been talking about this on your show for the longest time. We only have Fox News, and Fox News is not a hundred percent partial. They are biased in many ways, but the sad part is. That's all we have. They're the only bastion that has commentators such as Sean Hannity and, and Tuck Carlson and well, and um, well, real quick, Jason. That support Donald Trump. <laughs> excuse me. There, is, there is a new news. <clears throat> I'm sorry, real quick. Um, I did want to interject. There is actually a, a, a there. They're only been around for a couple months now, but there is a new source that's very. It's OAN. It's a One American oh. News. They're actually on. They're actually on the cable networks now. Go ahead. Okay. okay. What uh, What is it called again, Robert? One. One American News. One American. One American. Okay. I, I want to check it out. I, I definitely want to check it out because I I think that's the problem. We don't have enough news outlets that are currently up that is promoting the truth out there. And so everyone is relying on, on the mainstream media, and that's the problem. And that's feeding into this pandemic. I mean, it's kind of hard to compete against the entire mainstream media when all you have is Fox and that new station that you mentioned, which, you know, it's going to take a little bit for them to get name recognition for people to even realize they exist. I didn't know they existed until today. When Fox started out, hey, they had to do the same thing. They had to build up name recognition. Um, but for some reason, conservatives are smart enough to know we question, we're not afraid to question the unknowns. We're not afraid to call out our base. We're not afraid of that. 2016 proved that. 2016 was a referendum on the establishment. And I got to give credit. I never thought Donald Trump or any politician would be capable, but he took down 17 Goliaths. They were no Joe Bidens and Kamala Harris's and Cory Booker's and Bernie Sanders and, and Elizabeth Warren's. We're talking about viable candidates like Marco Rubio, Ted Cruz, Jeb Bush, um, the, uh, other names that I can't remember right now, uh, Chris Christie. Um, I mean, they were really viable contenders, and he still slayed them all down. You know, when everyone was saying, oh, Marco's going to take him down, no, nope. next. Jeb was going to take him down. No, next. If you compare it to this field, it's like, forget it. They don't stand a chance in hell because it's really going to come down to Bernie Sanders and Joe Biden. They don't stand a chance in hell because right now, if Marco Rubio was on the debate stage, he would annihilate them. 
if Jeb Bush was on the debate stage, if Chris Christie was on the debate stage, um, if Ted Cruz was on the debate stage, they would annihilate them if they were running for president. Well, and that's right why now. they're only, they're not going to want they're, and they're not going to want Biden to. Have, I mean, Biden's probably going to get the nomination, barring some kind of uprising uh, in at the Democrat convention uh, when they're like, oh man, this guy really, uh, and, you know, uh, and we're going to get and we're certainly going to get to this uh, in, in the second part of the show, but is I think once he gets to convention, if he does, you know. And he, he gets the nomination, and people are going to see Biden to be like, um, yeah. Uh, <laughs> because, I mean, and I feel and, sorry for Biden because I really do think that he's got I, – I mean, I'm not saying he's got dementia, but he, he is exhibiting not only with the memory, but the, the, the recent reports of his belligerence uh, that he's been uh, putting out there, which is a sign uh, of Alzheimer's. I know uh, my uh, ex-father-in-law uh, suffered for 14 years. Uh, from uh, from Alzheimer's, and I mean, he was he definitely was more. And I won't get into details of, of some of the things that I've witnessed. They were pretty they were pretty bad uh, of his belligerence uh, that growed, and I'm, I'm I'm seeing parts of that towards uh, uh, Biden. Uh, and so I, I think when those things start coming more to the fore, I mean that's why you know I, I think they're going to try to use coronavirus this thing. As much their advantage because they're like, oh man, good now now Joe don't have to do any more rallies and we're gonna try to keep him away from debates and things of that nature. So who knows? Maybe by the uh, the time the convention comes, I mean I don't know. Go ahead, Joe. Well, I leave you with one last thing and then I'll defer back to you. I really think this is gonna be like McGovern's back in 1972, and I think that Trump is gonna win in a landslide. Because they have no one else to put but Biden. There is no dark horse. They have to save face. They have to have a nominee. Just like in 1972, McGovern was the best that they had. But it's going to result in a massive landslide. I really see this as no, Trump should still play this campaign on defense. Don't make the mistake Hillary did. The Hillary camp thinking, yeah, we got this in the bag. There's, there's no chance this uh, you know, uh, reality star clown is going to win. No. And I know President Trump is a lot smarter than that, and so is his campaign team. And he is surrounded by the best. Um, and they're not gonna, they're not gonna, they are, they are not gonna sit back, relax, and and take a, a, a you know, uh, a nap. They are gonna play as if they're fighting for their lives. They are gonna campaign out there the way they should, regardless. Uh, even if it was showing that he was winning by 60 points, it doesn't matter. You 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 can never let your guard down on offense and defense. That was the mistake that Hillary made. They thought they had it in the bag. They thought there was no way hell had to freeze over before Trump could win. And in doing so, they let their guard down. Just enough for Trump's team to come in at the end and pull what everyone else in the mainstream media was saying is impossible. There's no way this guy can win. Um, no way, Jose. So I'll leave you with that, and um, we'll talk more about it in the show. I defer back to you, Robert. Oh, yeah, certainly. And we've got uh, 6 and 5. I see you like to chime in. Uh, we are going to get you back. Um, well, I'm not back, but we are going to get you to the show. Uh, and a couple more points I want to make on you know Trump's speech tonight, uh, which, again, for those who are new and you haven't had the opportunity, all the shows uh, tonight are archived, of course. Uh, you're welcome. If you missed the speech tonight, uh, we did play it in the beginning of the show uh, in its entirety, so you're, you're welcome to listen to the podcast later. And you'll be able to hear the, his whole 
uh, speech there. It was about a nine-minute speech. I know they were telling them it might have been about uh, 12. But just a few other things that I want to bring up, then I'll bring in 605, uh, Eric hit 605. I mean, he spoke about, you know, and there's some background noise there. Somebody could cut that off. I appreciate it. Um need to talk about, you know, antiviral medications, you know, I'm sure as days and uh, come, there's going to be more elaboration on, you know, exactly what's going to be done, like what red tape's going to be cut. And I was kind of concerned about this with H1N1 because I, th- I always thought that that H1N1 virus uh, vaccine just came too, uh, too quickly. I mean, there wasn't any testing. It was just, boom, there it is. You know, maybe it is more closer to Star Trek where we could come up with with cures quick, <laughs> you know, uh, like they did in the pre, uh, previous year, or maybe not cures, but at least uh, inoculations or vaccines or what have you, uh, like to do on Star Trek, which would be cool, but uh, I, said, I have a, a reservation about that. So it would be interesting what type of red tape uh, that he was talking about uh, with antiviral medic, um, medications. Um, and one thing you know, I do like is, is being, you know, he's the president of the United States, and, and he, he's not really doing a, you know, you know, overbearing federal government because he did say, remember, and I'm just going to reiterate some of his points, is that, you know, he's leaving it up to local authorities, you know, you know, with the help of the federal government, but the, he's going to leave it up to you know, the local authorities on, on how they want to handle uh, their different situations. Which I, I, I always think it's a smart idea. Um, and you mentioned, you know, with the reserves from the economy has been so good the past three years, we do have some type of reserves he mentioned. You know, for the financial crisis, again, we'll probably hear more information on that because I'm sure uh, the media is going to ask him about that, you know, and they're already, you know, again, they're going to try to spin it because they don't have anything else. I mean, they really, I, I, in my opinion, they the, the Democrats and media really don't have anything else other than they're just hoping for anything uh, that can help them defeat Trump in, in 2020, I mean, in November because we're in 2020. Um, now you talk about capital. We've got, you know, we got capital liquidity. At one point, I think, you know, I, you're watching this. So you may have already seen this, Joseph. Is that uh, he's talking about loans, the low interest loans to uh, different businesses uh, to help them out through this, you know, what they they call crisis. And I could see the media, if they haven't already, you know, getting upset about that. You know, thinking, well, why don't we just give the people, give these businesses the money? Instead of making these low interest loans, which is like, well, you you, you pay you got to pay it back, you know. I mean, so I could see I could really see the, you know, the Democrats and the and the media. I call them the alphabet media, you know, MSN, CNBC, you know, uh, yeah, MSNBC. Uh, you know, I could see them you know complaining about that, like, well, Trump shouldn't just you know say, oh, well, here's money for for low interest loans, just just give them the money to help them out. So I, I bet we're going to hear something about that. Um, and then, of course, the payroll tax relief. I think he's kind of putting. Uh, well, we had six and five. You want to get in? I, I, I told him I was going to get him in. The implications to to hold. Um, I don't. I, I, I don't understand that. I mean, I tell I, I tell people I'm going to get you in. I'm going to get you in. Uh, I haven't even been talking for five minutes, and then they they, they drop the call. Uh, so I don't understand why. I don't understand why people do that and they don't get the they don't have the patience, I guess. But anyway, uh, so be it. Uh, you know, I, I told him I was going to bring him in after. My, my spot here, but anyway, uh, you know, the payroll tax relief, we'll, I, I think he's kind of putting it to the, I think you mentioned this, uh, Joseph, uh, he put it in, uh, you know, in the, in the court of the Democrats, in the court of the Congress. And, and one other thing I want to leave, leave that with, and we could go to our next topic, 
or get final thoughts on this topic and then uh, move on to the next one is that, you know, putting, we must put politics aside, which, uh, you know, this happened in an election year. The chances of this, well, even if it wasn't, let's be honest, it, it probably wouldn't. They, the Democrats in the media wouldn't be able to, to put their politics aside anyway. But you would think if there's something, again, other than I think the space – I mean that's why I say this. Is that I think the only thing that's really going to bring the United States, maybe even the world together, is literally if we literally get – if they exist, I kind of think they do, if we get attacked by aliens like on in the movies. I really do. I think that's going to be the only thing that's going to bring this world together. Uh, and, and maybe even this country together, you know, to work together as if we have a common enemy. And well, seriously, this coronavirus is a common enemy. It's a common enemy against humanity because it's a, it's, it's a disease. You would think we'd be able to work together to combat combat a disease, but we can't even do that. So uh, who knows? Maybe if we, there was an alien attack, we'd have those who would, you know, the Democrats who would probably try to negotiate with them. Say, hey, if you don't kill us, you can kill everybody else. But if you don't kill us, well, you know, we'll, we'll help you out. Kill everybody else, you know, kill kill the human race. As long as you just keep us, and then you can eat us later or whatever. I'm, you know, kind of making a little fun there, but 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 yes, yeah, so the partisan. You would think the partisanship would be able to stop. Nope. And then you know, one thing I like to say is one nation, one family, and that is something that I think country has not felt since 9/11. At 9/11, I, you know, and it didn't last a long time. But at least around 9/11, you know, we, you know, we we all came together as a nation for a while, and and not just as a nation, it's it's really kind of like one family, and, and what Trump was talking about, um, you know, it's, and then you know, lastly, in the future remains bright, you know, we're a strong economy, we're going to get through this, and I I agree, uh, so that's kind of, you know, putting the synopsis of, of what he said. And we'll see, of course, how that media handles. But you already gave us an indication. Uh, I'm glad you're watching it. Uh, you know, to kind of give us that report. You know, on on, on how the media is already reacting to it. But let's go ahead and I uh, wish you know six to five. I don't even know who that was, but uh, would have stayed on, but they did not. It was we had patience, but uh, be that as it may, uh, we'll go ahead and you know get final thoughts on this topic before moving into the next one, which you alluded to, Joseph. Is well, it looks like it's going to be Biden. Uh, at first, it looked like we were going to get uh, maybe Bernie, which I, I think that would have been a great, uh, you know, a great uh, debate. I think that would have been really put it to the American people. Okay, which direction are we going to take? You know, communism or you know, or communist socialism or, or, or stay with capitalism? But apparently, we're, I don't think we're going to have that battle. Uh, so let's go ahead and we'll uh, go. Uh, with yourself, Joseph, and then we'll go with Dr. Tolbert. And uh, now this ain't final closing thoughts of the night just on this topic uh, for the coronavirus. And we can bring things back in if, if, if there's any updates. And then uh, you, Dr. Tolbert, uh, and, then it's, uh, and then Suzette, so it'll be Joseph, Dr. Tolbert, Suzette, and then we'll uh, start in with our next topic. So go ahead, Joseph. Uh, so I'll just leave it at this. Um I, I I totally agree with you, Robert. I think all of the measures and the steps that uh, President Trump laid out are more than fair. But a lot of the key words were seek authorization from Congress. And that's where you would think, you're right, Robert, on an issue like this, this would unite us. In an election year, it's not going to happen. I'm telling you, 
Um, Congress is going to reject it. They're not even going to want to have the proposal on the table because, like I said before, they would, in doing so, they would have to acknowledge, for one, that President Trump is doing something right, and they just can't fathom that. They can't fathom it at all. They're in denial. Uh, they've been in denial since 2015 when he came down that escalator, um, when he was just a candidate. So um, I'll defer back to you, and that's my last comments about that, and that's going to be the sad reality is that um, he'll be able to pass certain things through executive order, but the authorizations that he needs from Congress for these economic reliefs are just going to sit on the back burner, and the sad part is it's going to be at the expense of uh, a lot of uh, you know innocent Americans who are really going to suffer because of uh, an ideology that is uh, a sick offense ideology um, that would rather put the expense of the American people, that would rather put their ideology first before the expense of the American people. And uh, that's my final comments on uh, on this topic for tonight. Thank you for allowing me the opportunity to uh, um, talk about it. Oh, you're welcome. Let's go ahead and uh, give over you, Dr. Colbert, and then Suzette, and then I'll make my closing comments. This topic, we'll, we'll move on to uh, uh, the, you know, I'm the next. Go ahead, uh, Dr. Albert. Yeah, I just want to add two things. Number one is the reason the U.K. is exempt is because the U.K. and the United States had prior to this already set up standards of who can and who cannot and restrictions. Based on those standards, the Europeans uh, countries did not set up a standard they were not checking, and that's why they're being restricted. And, and I was kind of curious, why was the U.K. not included? And so why you were all talking, I did some research. Secondly, you're talking about no goods and products in Hawaii. I have to let you know we have that same issue. Everything you said that you cannot get in Hawaii, we cannot get in Florida. My son had uh, asked from Fort Lauderdale what I could find in Okeechobee, and I went to today out of curiosity. They don't have rubbing alcohol. They don't have any of the toxic things. Fortunately, I carry these things as a normal uh, sequence. So this is a complete uh, 50-state issue on productivities, and they're going to come in on a weekly basis and the only ones that are going to be benefiting is these individuals that are selling these products are at least going to be able to uh, sell something that nobody has been buying. So that's one of the key issues. Uh, the restrictions we put ourselves under uh, is something we, we've talked previously. We just need to be commonly uh, doing it. And when you get ready to go in, uh, there is no election in 2020. It's strictly going to be uh, Trump winning the election. And just as a quick little reminder, we just finished our seven days of fasting. My wife is in Venezuela and I, and uh, this all came about as the time change took place. And with the grace of God, I got and was able to speak with you on the show tonight, which I haven't done in several months. So I just thank you and the American people for the ability that we're doing and the directions we're heading. And in closing, uh, all Americans, you have to remember what happened. The issue happened with Moses 
and people didn't put the blood on the door. We're going to call that the fasting and prayers and the Christianity. You're going to have a problem. So American people, change your status, change the way you think, and the virus will go away. Thank you very much, Robert. No, thank you very much, and uh, we'll, we'll look forward to uh, your input for, on our next topic there with, uh, of course, the election, uh, the Democrat primary. Of course, we'll talk about general, too. Uh, but go ahead uh, to that. Uh, well, I don't really have too much to add, um, just that um, check cities around to see they're not panicking, that things are going as normal. Uh, but we're we're not totally oblivious to what could happen, so we are um, preparing. But for the most part, we're not letting it consume our lives. So um, just do what Dr. Tolbert said: get the baby wipes, the alcohol, wipe, keep your hands clean, don't touch your face, and uh, be safe out there. God bless America. Back to you, Robert. So thank you very much for that. And so you know, coming on to our next topic is, of course, you know, we've had Super Tuesday, and then we had. Super Tuesday 2.0 uh, last night, and it looks like that, you know, while Sanders is still going to have a debate, which I think is great, um, not that I think it's going to help him any, really. I mean, who knows, it might be, uh, but uh, maybe if he points out that, look, I'm actually in better shape than than Joe Biden is, even after his heart attack, and maybe that's what the, the, the whole thing is. I I mean, I think he wants to – I think he knows at this point he's not going to be the nominee. I think that he just wants – he's going to draw it out as long as he can because, I mean, he still has a ton of supporters out there. And I think that he wants to actually – excuse me. <clears throat> excuse me. I think he actually wants to affect the platform uh, of the Democrat Party. And, and, and I think in his view, not that I think this doesn't already exist. Uh, but I think in his view, I think he wants to try to bring the party over to, you know, more over to the left, which, again, I think it's already there, and it's not really going to need uh, Biden. I think the only difference between um, – not Biden. <laughs> the Democrat, I think the only difference between what the Democrat platform really is uh, compared to what Bernie Sanders would bring to it is that he admits that he's a socialist, where the rest of the Democrat party does not. And I think that's the biggest difference between uh, them because they're saying, oh, we're, we're moving away from a socialist because a socialist could not ever get elected uh, in America. It's like, well, no, you, what you mean is a self-proclaimed socialist right now cannot get elected. And that's why you guys are um, going to be uh, – oh, we just lost Dr. too, but I guess he had to go. Um, so a, a self-proclaimed socialist. So I mean, they're going to have their same things, and uh, you know that, that, you know whether Bernie, you know what Bernie brings in, uh, but yeah, again, it's it's good at this point, it's going to be all optics. So it looks like we're going to have Biden, um, and I, I truly believe, or, you know, think that I, I think he's got the onsets of dementia. I really do. Like, I kind of feel sorry for the guy. Don't like his politics. Don't particularly like him. Uh, but I do kind of feel sorry for him. I'm like, man, what they're putting this guy through. And if you just watch him, you can tell something is going on. And again, and, and I mentioned earlier, not only is it, you know, you can't even call them gas. You know, it's, you know, just the, the confusion, just seeing the confusion. And you can, and it's not only, and don't, when you're looking at watching Biden, don't just listen to Biden and what he says. 
Look at his face, and you may already do this, but look at his face when he's when he does these gaffes. Because if you look at the expression on your face, he knows he screwed up. You could see it on his face that he knows he screwed up and he's trying to make up for it, and, and that's why he kind of gets flustered and blustered or whatever uh, when they are because it's not like he just says it and he just keeps going on his manner way. He, re- I think, he realizes that he's doing it, and. And then with the what we've seen the other day, where he's telling one of his own aides, you know, shush, shush. And then he's, you know, you know, sort of threatening to smack this guy in the face, you know, the face, you know. I mean, like right, he's right there, and you know, he's getting belligerent, and you know, that that's a sign. That's it's a sign of Alzheimer's. And I think, no, I'm not saying he doesn't. He's in, you know, has full blown or whatever the the term is. Uh, but but I do think he's got the outset on it. And I think it's going to be very important to, on who he picks for his vice president. So July is going to be very important. That's usually the time that they'll they'll pick who the VP is. Now I still stand that I think he's going to pick Kamala Harris because I think she just she just has too many she she does she, uh, too many check marks. You know she 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 has too many t- check marks for him not to. I mean I don't know who else. I mean I was thinking maybe Klobuchar as well, but she even that she doesn't. Satisfy enough check marks is, is you know, uh, oh my gosh, she just had a brain free to her, her for uh, her name, uh, Kamala Harris, uh, and so uh, that's why I think is going to end up being his running mate, but but we'll see, uh, and so because let's be honest, if, if there's any president between, if you guess if you say between Trump and Biden, or maybe it feels Hillary Clinton would, would have been president. Then there would be an Article 25 of the Constitution, which I find ironic is that you know all the things that the Democrats, even present and future, that they want to point towards Donald Trump, you know, really applies to them, applies to the Democrats. And I think of you know Biden would be more towards a, you know falling under the criteria for the 20th, the 25th Amendment than Trump. And so it's going to be really important who that is because I, I think that. Literally, as, pre- as as a presidency go, we're not only – two things. One, we're not only voting for uh, who's the president because this vice president, I don't think he'll make four years. If he becomes president, I don't think he'll he'll make four years. And I'm not saying he's going to die. I'm going to say he's going to bow out you know, and say, oh, well, you know, because of health reasons, I'm going to you know, leave it up to my vice president and did it, did it, did it, did it. Excuse me. And so – that's important, and two is a lot. What you're hearing a lot of folks say is Biden's going to be a figurehead, which I I agree. I I think he's just going to let. Because here's the thing, I think that why that's likely as well that at least until his vice president takes over, is that he's he's being moved along anyway. I mean, I think he's being I wouldn't say controlled, uh, but he handled is, is probably a better term. I mean, he's being handled now. He's being handled now. Whereas in 2016, I think that there's enough evidence to state that Hillary Clinton had physical, you know, infirmities. I, I think she had physical infirmities uh, when she was running. Uh, and, I, and I don't think Biden has as many physical uh, infirmities. I think his infirmities are mental. I think they're, you know, cognitive, and so. That's why you know you, you you're probably not going to see a lot of debates in this. You pointed out the 
Joseph, I mean, it's going to be if, if, if a Biden debate Trump, I mean, it's even if a lot of people don't watch it, like one of my liberal friends at work would hope uh, happens, there's been a lot of people don't watch it, is that you're still, I mean, he's still going to be making commercials. I mean, it's going to be clips from a debate between Biden and Trump that's going to definitely make – is going to be commercial worthy for Trump. You know, Now, how he ensconces it, how he – or the people who you know, make the rest of the commercial for him. Because, because the thing is, is you want to point out his mental infirmity, but you don't want to make fun of it because then you're going to get he's going to get the sympathy vote. You know, people vote for him just because like they feel sorry for Joe Biden, and, and with knowing the fact that they're actually going to, uh, you know, most probably be actually voting for whoever his vice president candidate is uh, to be president. But in the meantime, between he get he'd either step down or get twenty five, and I, I don't think he'd get twenty fifth amendment. I don't I don't think they would do that. I think he would, you know, he would step down before that would happen. But in the meantime, I, I think that other nations will see. See, this is where I think the real danger is, and then I'll bring it over to you, uh, Joseph. Uh, but I think what the real danger is is if Biden would be elected president. That while the time he is president, and other nations, I mean, you you, you know, all you got to do is watch the guy to know, and they're going to know that the United States has a president that doesn't have his, all of his mental faculties, and they're going to know that, and they're you know, and, and with a lot of the, the nations we deal with, you have to de- deal with in with strength, the, the, at least you know the appearance of strength, and when you have Biden out there. You know, and, it, and they're not gas. Their lap, their their laps, their laps is in cognitive thought, is what they are. And he knows it. I mean, again, look at his next time he makes a gas like that. Watch the debates. I'll probably be watching the debate Sunday. Watch the debate Sunday. Watch his face, and you'll see on his face. Now, one of his tells, I think, is is his, um, look. One of his tells, I think, is that his face kind of scrunches up. You know, when he makes one of his gas, his face kind of sometimes, not all the time, but sometimes his face was this crunch up. You know what I mean? And and look for that. And so that's when I I think he knows he's you know just you know kind of going off on a tangent. Um, and and I think he knows it too. And and his wife certainly knows just from all the times that she interjects uh, when he's talking. Um, but anyway, I mean, so those are kind of my, my beginning thoughts about, you know, it's going to be Biden. I mean, I don't think Bernie Sanders, I think Sanders is, you know, in his mind at least, wants to affect a platform in the Democrat Party, which I don't think you really need to do anything to affect the platform of the Democratic Party because they, they're basically uh, the same thing, except he's willing to admit it and they're not. Uh, but what, what's your thoughts on, on those uh, opening, uh, opening comments uh, on this topic, uh, Joseph? Uh, we have to keep into consideration that 2016 and 2020 are completely two polar opposite universes. Um, Back in 2016, when Donald Trump became the nominee of the Republican Party and Hillary became the nominee of the Democratic Party, it was the first time in history of both parties that both nominees had the highest unfavorables. Because many people were not crazy about Hillary. They were tired of the Clinton dynasty. 
And they were very, 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 uh, you know, upset about the email scandal. Uh, they couldn't trust her, and they did not appreciate that she collaborated with former DNC chairwoman uh, Washerman Schultz and Donna Brazile to shaft Bernie Sanders. And so people looked at Hillary with a lot of disgust in her own base. However, Hillary was still a viable candidate. Even though she let her guard down, she was still a much more viable candidate than anyone who's been on the stage this year for the Democrats or anyone currently on the stage. And then we got to remember, everyone, even I was a big critic of uh, President Trump. I'll, I'll admit my wrong. I mean, you know, we were looking at it from a perspective of the GOP. We had our civil war and saying, this guy has no political experience. He's never held political office. This is crazy. How the hell are we going to put him up there? This is nuts. How can we co- coalesce around him? We'll be making the same mistake that um, they made with Barack Obama in electing mm-hmm. someone for the highest office with just barely two years of experience as a United States senator. So, you know, that was a valid argument within the Republican Party back then. Uh, A lot of unknowns about Trump of, like, never holding political office whatsoever. Also, you know, his past affiliation as a major donor to Hillary Clinton back in 07 when he ran against Barack Obama. Being close to the Clintons, going to the wedding of Chelsea uh, in 2005 and things of that nature. So, um, and also, you you, got to keep in mind that, you know, no one expected an unknown like uh, Donald J. Trump to do the impossible and then to also succeed in office. So 2016 was a different argument because, believe me, the Democrats were begging Elizabeth Warren to jump in. She didn't jump in. The people forget that they were begging Biden to jump in. He didn't jump in. It kind of reminded me of 2012 when they were begging Chris Christie to, to come in uh, to the race um, when back then when he was still popular. They were begging them, but they all said no because they never thought in a million years a reality TV star who never held elected office could have stand a chance. They never could fathom in a million years. I remember Joy Behar and so many Democrats saying, if Trump wins, we'll go to Canada. Uh Newsflash, they're still here in the United States. They haven't gone to Canada. So now we go to 2020. Now you're going up against a, a Bob Dole in a, in a Bill Clinton scenario of 96, where in 96 the economy was at the highest level since post-World War II. The economy was booming. We were pre-9-11. The Republicans had no substance, no argument against the economy. The economy was thriving. And therefore, they had to have a face of the party. Unfortunately, Bob Dole was the best they had. And as a result, he lost in a landslide. You could not go up up against the president with one of the best economies since post-World War II. You're asking the impossible. Now, here we are in 2020. But the shoe is on the other foot. I bet Dems never believed that day would happen. The shoe is on the other foot where, you know, President Trump has achieved what everyone said was the impossible. You can't go up against that. They've tried. When many times questions were brought up about the economy, the only thing, they can't even give numbers. At least in 2012, Romney had numbers. 
of the trillions of dollars that were accumulated in debt by Obama, the failed uh, omnibus stimulus plan, uh, the point that um, unemployment was at 7.5%, no president ever won re-election with unemployment. He had substance. He had numbers. When the Democrats are asked about the economy, they go to talking points. Oh, uh, well, um, you know, he's, he's given more tax breaks to the rich, and the rich are getting richer. Uh, that's not substance. That's how you know they're in trouble. They can't put numbers up there. They can't because it's, it's the easiest thing to do is to distort the truth. The hardest thing to do is to refute it, especially facts and numbers. Don't lie. And they just can't go up against it. So what I foresee is, I'm a governed scenario where that is all they have, and they have to have somebody as their nominee. They have to save face if they want to regroup the party for 2024. I don't see anyone else, even though Biden has all these illnesses and ailments, they're going to do what they do best. They're going to look the other way. It doesn't matter if Jesus Christ was the vice president on the ticket it's not going to make a difference. Uh, It's kind of like when McCain thought picking Sarah Palin was going to win in the presidency. And anyone could have told him after eight years of George W. Bush, nobody wanted to hand over the reins to the Republican Party. It would have not mattered who would have been the nominee in 08, either for president or vice president. But that was the thinking, right? He thought if I can get Sarah Palin, somehow that's enough to muster no, after eight years of failure uh, from George W. Bush, unfortunately, it was uh, guilt by association, and everyone faulted the Republican Party. Same scenario, mm-hmm. eight yeah. years of failure with Barack Obama and the Democratic Party, and people came out in 2016 and said, we had enough. We gave eight years to the Dems. We're done with them. And so that's the scenario I see playing out. They have no choice. So really, Biden is going to be there as someone to save face as was McGovern in 1972. They have to have somebody. They don't have a dark horse. They don't have a wild card. It doesn't matter who they choose as VP. They're going down and they know it. The question is, is this going to be a wake-up call for the party to go back to the center for 2024? Because everyone, every pundit thought, okay, 2016 was a wake-up call. It was the biggest loss nationwide for the Democratic Party, not just for the presidency, but in governorships and in Senate seats in the House and mayorships at the state level. And yet, if anything, they went further to the left, making Obama look like now he's a moderate. (laughs) And I'll defer back to you, Robert. And and, and, And before I defer back to you, who would have ever thought that the mainstream media would be saying Barack Obama is too moderate for, our, for, 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 uh, for, I'm sorry, I'm starting to sound like uh, Joe Biden stuttering. My apologies. For, um, who would have ever thought anyone would say live along Democrats would start saying that Barack Obama is the moderate version of the progressive wing. <laughs> it's laughable, but sad. It just shows you how far to the left they've gone. And um, I was hoping it was going to be Bernie, too, um, truth be told, and only because it would have guaranteed that the GOP would win back the House. Uh, But unfortunately, it is going to be Biden. That's all they have. And despite his health issues, I mean, 
Hillary Clinton had serious health issues as well that they covered. We don't know to this day. They have her on film as falling out of the, the limousine or falling mm-hmm. also on, on the steps of, the, of, of Air Force Two. Um, but we still don't know to this very day what it is because the, the mainstream media always covers for the Democrats. So that's why I don't think his health is going to play a factor because he's just going to do the same thing they did with Hillary. Dems are going to do what they do best. When the truth doesn't fit their narrative or support their ideology, they look to the left. They turn the cheek and they look the other way. I defer back to you, Robert. Well, and and we'll get over uh, to yourself, Suzette, um, after this. It's one thing with with – with with Biden and, and bringing back McCain is I mean I when I pulled that lever so to speak uh, I wasn't voting for McCain I was voting for Sarah Palin I could not stand McCain um, and so I was I was voting for her more more so than him and then and, and and but one thing that the Democrats I think they're doing this year that the Republicans have been guilt were guilty with a lot as well and I call it uh, it's his turnism uh, and or with Hillary Clinton was her turnism is that and whenever a policy whenever a party does that when they're like oh well it's, it's, it's this is the person next in line uh, because and with the Republicans it usually was the person who came in second and the ele- the election primary somehow they were able to find themselves in first place the next time they ran uh, and now this ain't quite the case here with Bernie I'm not with Bernie with Biden is that I think they're like it, it, it's his turn to be the nominee. It, it, it's you know it's Biden's turn to be nominee. And every time a party pretty much picks who their nominee is going to be, and it's because it's their turn, they lose. Again, I think this. I think that happened to. I think that happened to McCain. I think that happened to Romney. I think that happened to Hillary. And I think that's happened to Biden. So you got two Republicans and two Democrats. Do I think they're like, well, it's their turn to be the 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 nominee for president, and they lost. And I mean, I think, that, and I'm not saying that's the only the only uh, reason why I think Biden's going to lose. Uh, but I, I mean, I think that's that's kind of part of it because I think they put up the person who they're like, well, we know they're not going to win. We, we we know they're not going to win. I mean, as, as you pointed out, Joseph, they knew McCain wasn't going to win. McCain was not going to be, and I think that's why Newt Gingrich didn't run in 2008, and he waited till 2012 uh, to run because he actually had a shot in 2012. Except that the, the Republican Party uh, was adamant about doing the, his his turnism and coordinating Romney. Now, I mean, there's a lot more that to it than that. I mean, I think that the reason why they wanted Romney. But, you know, to be other than you know, it's his turnism uh, to be the the, the Democrat. I mean, or sorry, the Republican nominee was. They knew he wasn't going to win, and they had a feeling that well, another four years Obama was going to give the Republicans back the House, and as we see, it did. Uh, now, one, I mean, and I agree with with you know, it's been more of a chance for the Republicans to regain the House uh, with Bernie Sanders uh, being the presidential. Nominee, but one of the things that I think that really start that that Trump really needs to start uh, bringing home in his rallies to people when he's when he's traveling again doing rallies and once this coronavirus thing's gone and say, look, yes, definitely reelect Donald Trump, but unless you want and tell the the people, not Republicans, but say tell all the people for all you people out there. 
who actually want things to be done for the people, and you don't want endless, you know, debacles with the <laughs> impeachment and things of that nature. You know, if you don't want all that again, basically impeachment 2.0, you need to get the you need to vote with the Republicans back to power in the House. Because if not, we're going to get the same three. We're going to get the same thing we did these past three, four years. If somehow the uh, the Democrats maintain the House, and so I think that really needs to be part of his his campaign stump uh, when he's going around the nation to say, look, not only vote for you know you know, and, and this is probably more towards the independents than it is for his Republican base because I mean they support him. I mean, now we did see a lot of people flip uh, in 2018. Where you know you had people who in districts that voted for Trump, but then they turned around and voted for their Democrat representative, and I think that was you know hey all of Congress sucks except you know all of Congress sucks except my representative, and so people are like well you know my my representative don't suck so I'm gonna go ahead and vote for them and then of course as you know a lot of Democrats they actually ran as moderates you know maybe even in some cases conservative Democrats. Um, and again, I think even more so than that really played into, hey, my representative don't suck like all the other ones do, uh, because I guess it's my representative. Uh, but I think that you know this time, you know, Trump's gonna say, look, and I'm not even really a big fan of you know voting straight down party line. Uh, but in this case, unless you want to have all this crap go on uh, that we just did these past three years, if you you know if you really want to get it, tell those independents. You know, maybe even to those uh, conservative Democrats, which are few and far between. But you know, and remember, uh, through my understanding, 25% of of Trump's rallies now are disaffected Democrats. You know, through through my understanding, and so those are the people I think that I mean, yeah, of course he's got to have his base, he has to talk to his base, but I think he really needs to reach out to those independents. Uh, he really has to reach out to uh, the Democrats that have seen. What the Democrat parties and how they not only don't care about getting things done for the American people, uh, you know, because all they're caring about is power and get rid of Trump because they hate Trump so much, is that they actually work harder to support illegal immigrants, non-citizens, and foreigners. Not only foreigners who are in this country, but foreigners and foreign nations outside of. The United States. I mean, just like like Barack Obama. I never hated him like a lot of folks did, but I didn't like him. And one, because he he acted like he wanted to be the president of the world and so the president of the United States. Uh, and and that's one of the things I think that that, that really needs to be pushed home, you know, as well. Say, so, hey, look, and, and it worked for Trump the first time. I think it worked again this time uh, as well. So I mean, again, it's not only important to get the presidency, getting, getting the House. Uh, back as well is going to be really important. Well, let's go ahead and uh, uh, bring it over to you, Suzette, and then I'm sure we'll get we'll get some uh, you know articles uh, for this portion of the show. Go ahead, Suzette. Now I do see other okay. callers on. If you'd like to chime in, push one number dial, get you into the show. Go ahead, Suzette. All righty. Well, um, if my memory serves correct, which I could be wrong, but Romney was not chosen by the Republicans. They didn't want him. They Actually, he was considered an outsider because they weren't supporting him at all. Uh, they were behind Kate McCain. And, um, and, but the people seemed to you know, rally behind Romney. There was too many skeletons in McCain's closet, his naval history and, and daddy and everything else. Um, and so uh, the people had gotten behind Romney. And 
unfortunately, you know, it was more of a guilt thing because either one of them weren't really viable candidates. But the fact that he had a black man running for president, people were guilted into voting for him. And, well, we saw how that went. And <laughs> I think um, after that, um, people decided, you know, well, forget about that. He's gone now, so now I can vote who, now I can do what I want to do without being guilted. Um, Barack Obama's presidency was mostly out of guilt. You could not say anything without somebody saying, oh, you're only criticizing him because he's black. Oh, you're racist. Um, whatever it was, you couldn't say anything because you'd be considered a racist. Um, and that was unfair. But we played into the game and, you know, he got elected twice, unfortunately, but nevertheless. <laughs> um, then you had, okay, if we go back a little bit further to Reagan, um, it was his vice president, Bush, that had ran. Um, so, yeah, the hand down, I guess you could say, <laughs> the handoff of the um, torch kind of took place there. But that was, I think, because um, people were happy with Reagan. And they thought, okay, well, if Bush will continue his agenda or his policies, um, then yes, we'll vote him back, we'll vote him in for president. And, well, that didn't work out either, so. <laughs> but um, the the uh, Democrat side, um, they go to great lengths developing these super PACs and redistricting lines, you know, in the counties and so forth to choose their nominee um, prior to the vote. And the super delegates just make that happen for, you know, throughout many of these elections. Um, and that's unfortunate. And then you have, of course, you know, um, as Joe mentioned, uh, Donna Brazil and Debbie Wasserman Schultz. Hi, nice to meet you. I'm Wasserman Schultz. But um, anyway, <laughs> there's some background noise in here. Uh, anyway, so as far as Joe Biden goes, uh, he, he, the poor man's going to only deteriorate more. I think for VP, they'll, they'll choose a uh, female, maybe black, um, to try and hold on to their base. Um, could be Michelle Obama. If if it is Michelle or Hillary, I think what will end up happening is they'll, once they get into office, which that will never happen, uh, they'll kick Joe to the side, vote him out as far as under the um, 25th Amendment, and then whoever was the VP will slide into president. And that's what, what concerns me about Hillary. So she would be a VP, but she would she knows that she wouldn't be the VP, <laughs> that that's just a temporary spot until they kick Joe to the curb, um, in my opinion. But, um, yeah, I'm, I'm not too worried about it as far as Bernie goes. Uh, my only concern with him and his base is that uh, when Trump wins the election, that his crew is going to go berserk, and we will see a lot of the same uh, thing that went on in 2016. And... There's the Fabian Society. I don't know if you've ever heard of them. Fabian Society. They were named after General Clinton Fabius Maximus. And he was known for having a brilliant strategy. And he advanced in his battles, not through the front lines, but instead uh, through harassment and attrition. Uh, what we had talked about on one of your shows before, Robert, um, you know, where they overwhelm their opponents constantly, constantly, constantly as far as like I'm beating on Trump with the uh, impeachment and the Russia hoax and everything else. And so he would constantly wear them out like we talked about, the base, just wanting to get somebody in without 
any hassles, knowing that it will be uneventful, but that's what they're looking for after all the, you know, constant hype, constant hype, constant hype. But they were, he was, those people are known for that, um, that belong to the Fabian Society. And a lot of these Democrats, I would say about 99%, <laughs> are um, underlying uh, Fabians. But, um, yeah, so anyway, they would do that to their opponents. And so that's what we were seeing. I, I needed to know what it was that we were seeing um, throughout these last couple of years, but more so just last year, about the constant hammering, hammering. And uh, and it is part of the playbook that they have. So, anyway, um, that's what I noticed and observed. Back to you. Well, two things. One is, uh, and this is from the chat, um, uh, the ringing on boy saying that Gabbard and Yang 2020 is the Wonder Twins. Uh, that would let me tell you something. That would be a very interesting ticket. It won't be the Democrat ticket, um, but it would be an interesting ticket. Which brings me to this, this, this thing: is that there's a wild card for you, or at least a possible wild card, is Tulsi Gabbard. Which you know, one of the people you know, a lot you hear, oh well, the Democrats are so upset because there's not a. Uh, a woman that's uh, you know that's still in the race. Eh, actually, that's not true. She has not suspended her campaign. Uh, she's still you know on ballot. She's not getting anywhere. Uh, but that would be and, and two things. One on, on Tulsi Gabbard is that one is I think and I think the hindsight for the Democrats are going to be 2020. Is I think they are going to rue the day they brush Tulsi Gabbard aside. I really do. And why yeah. did they brush her aside? Why did they brush her aside? First and foremost, she didn't hate Trump enough. She just you – know, you've seen her on the debate stage. She didn't, they didn't give her much time, but she just was not as deep as a Trump hater as pretty much everyone else on the stage. That, that, I well, think she that called was it huge. like she saw it. She called it like she saw it, Robert. She called the media out. She called the Democrats out for what they were doing to Trump and how the media was part of, part of it. <laughs> She, she uh, while she was doing the right thing, she shot herself in the foot, being on the wrong, being in the wrong party. <laughs> and the second is she took on Hillary Clinton, which even today, within the Democrat Party, that's a no-no. Even today, with Clinton, you know, being where she's at, which I, I, I don't think that she is as powerful in the Democrat Party. Uh, Tulsi uh, and I got an article I'm getting ready to, to read here about uh, a possible broker convention, and uh, this article, of course, I got from the uh, Bard's Logic Newsroom, where you can find it at www.bardslogicpoliticaltalk.com. Get in the newsroom, you'll find this article I'm getting ready to read from. Uh, but anyway, it, she, yeah, again, you know, she, you know, she had the audacity, uh, and that's a favorite Democrat word, right, uh, to take on. Uh, Hillary Clinton, and, and even today, you you still just can't do that with the Democrat Party. But but with Tulsi Gabbard, here's here's what I think at least is the uh, the the irony of that, and the irony of the Democrats pushing her away is I think that Tulsi Gabbard. Pro- now I'm not saying she would win, but I think Tulsi Gabbard, especially on the debate stage and just through the election, I think she would have given Trump the hardest time. I really think that she would have given the given Trump the hardest re-election time as any of the Democrat candidates. It would have, I think it would have been her. I really do. Um, I think, I think, I think she could, would have been beaten, 
you know, or at least that the, the, the still had a good chance of uh, him defeating her in December. But I think it would be much closer to what I think a, a Biden uh, nomination is going to be. But again, you know, it's 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 his turnism. But speaking of Hillary Clinton, and let's say that uh, they they see the the writing on the wall when it comes to Biden. Now this is again for that article, and it says Democrats hunt for Trump slayer may lead to Hillary Clinton comeback. And now that the once sprawling field of Democrats seeking the presidency has become a two-man race, many in the party are breathing a sigh of relief. All the more, and, and this including my, my my friend at work who you know he's glad Biden, right? But he said, uh, oh, you know, also more. Um, uh, I was looking at a map of the coronavirus. Anyway, it says all the more so because Biden is a clear front runner, and the dreaded Bernie Sanders looks to be fading. So it's all set. Biden will be the nominee and give the party a solid chance of scoring in November, scoring a November trifecta, beating President Trump, taking the Senate, and holding the House. Yeah, I don't see any of that happening. But anyway, it says count me as I uh, it says and this the person on the article says count me as skeptical. Instead of a smooth ride, it's more likely that the Dems' desperate search for a Trump slayer will hit more turbulence, and an alternative to Biden still could be necessary. Guess what? One just happens to be waiting in the wings, hoping for the invitation. Before you laugh at the prospect of a Hillary Clinton comeback. Consider the two weird twists and turns of Biden's campaign. The widespread belief that the former Veep is ready and able to go the distance strikes me as wishful thinking at best. It is, uh, it is suspect because it is so sudden and reflects a complete reversal of the sentiment about him less than two weeks ago. After he finished fourth in Iowa, fifth in New Hampshire, and a distant second in Nevada, the consensus was that Biden won big in February 29th, South Carolina. He was toast. The political obituaries were already written and blamed his demise, his demise largely on the notion that his party had left him behind. Uh, then there were his brain freezes and frequent bouts of oddball references as a, make sure you have the record player on at night. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> During the debate, he said the kindest con- commentary is how the old Joe had lost a step. Then came the South Carolina blowout. With the strong backing of black voters, Biden racked up nearly half the total vote, and Dorley's declared, we're alive. Uh, he beat six rivals and all important expectations of a more narrow win. This was manna from heaven for a party frightened by the prospect of a Sanders nomination and instantly – the word went out for the also-rans to circle the wagons around Biden. Senator Amy Klobuchar and Pete Buttigieg obeyed while Tyne Steyer simply withdrew. Three days later, Biden again beat expectations by winning 10 of Super Tuesday states against Sanders, Michael, Bloombay, Michael Bloomberg, and little Elizabeth Warren. And I still contend that uh, Bernie probably still could have won a couple more states, though, if Warren wasn't in the race. But I digress. Anyway, the article says, now the pressure to unite uh, led Bloomberg to quit after just one day on the ballot and turn his lavishly funded campaign, $500 billion, uh, into a Biden super PAC. When Warren quit without making an endorsement, Sanders was a weakened lone opponent. The cranky commie, wow, 
The cranky commie uh, sympathizer probably can't stage a comeback, but Biden is capable of blowing his chances all by himself. His revival can't erase the memory of the failed failure he was just two weeks ago, nor are the cognitive issues suddenly resolved by a winning streak. Put it this way, which Joe Biden will see from now on? Does the new improved version have the stamina and mental health to go all the way? Or will the long summer and the attacks from Trump on him and his family break him? Uh, it is noteworthy that his wife, Jill Biden, seems to be by his side more, uh, far more often. The image is just a nurse or mediator between him and the world. That is true. That's a good observation, but I think we've already made that observation earlier this evening. Otherwise, Sanders well, – I think I missed part of the question. There goes. So questions about whether he is capable of being president can't be avoided. Uh, that should force the party to quietly consider others who could be called upon at the July convention to take the nomination if Biden reverts. Otherwise, Sanders would get the crown, and I don't believe Dem leaders will let that happen. They realize he would be an electoral college disaster and cost them their gravy train of power, patronage, and donors. It says, but who are the alternatives? All the supposed moderates, Buttigieg, Klobuchar, and Bloomberg, were thoroughly rejected by primary voters. The prickly Warren finished third in her home state, all of which leaves Clinton as the best backup plan. She's hardly my cup of tea, but for all her problems, including doubts about her physical stamina, which, you know, we, we, again, we talked about tonight, she is a fundraising machine, is a true following, and could hit the ground running. And in case you hadn't noticed, she's advertising her availability like else she is. You're right. <clears throat> it's surely no coincidence that Hillary, quote, was released Friday during the height of the primary season. The Sweetheart documentary completely with a broad promotion, stories, reviews, and interviews with her is a massive and slick selling job. Once again, as always, she's selling herself. <laughs> That's a good way of putting it. The fact that she and Bill Clinton cooperated make it certain the streaming Hulu project would add nothing new that would damage her. The four, uh, the four-hour biopic or biopic seems to be just another of her airbrush memoirs, albeit one you can watch. Uh, this makeover, according to reviews, tries to interject dashes of glamour and cultural gravitas about feminism to what's essentially a loser's story. Uh, while it is impossible to miss the rollout and, and her glee in using the film and interviews to stick knives into Trump and Sanders, it is impossible to miss the party has to do with call her bag is packed. Indeed, Clinton would have uh, to be dead not to dream of one, a miracle, one that would give her a victory. Fate has denied her twice. Her platform writes itself. She didn't really lose in 2016 election. Trump colluded with the Russians to deprive her of her civil right to be president. Anything else is just a Republican talking point and part of the vast right-wing conspiracy. Or maybe you're a deplorable. You're with her or a misogynist. Or what fun, merely by to imagine doing all those things again. Oh, God, I can't imagine. But anyway, it, it, it goes on a little bit longer, but it's a short, you know, breath. So, yeah, I mean, I, would, I mean, God, I mean, the thought of Hillary Clinton being the, their nominee again, which I kind of wouldn't be surprised. I mean, I really don't. I mean, with, with you know, what their concern is with Biden. Um, and then now one one thing that might be a wild card. Is oh my God! You know what? Actually, listen to this. 
here's where a Hillary Clinton being the nominee could benefit Donald Trump. People like might be like, what? What? Tulsi Gabbard cannot stand stand Hillary Clinton. She even has a lawsuit out for for Hillary Clinton stating that she was a Russian asset. So here's a scenario, and one worth promoting, is that if Hillary Clinton would somehow get the nomination through a broker convention for Tulsi Gabbard to be to start to, to do a, a third party run as some type of independent or something, with maybe Yang is uh, bringing on boy suggests uh, and welcome Edward uh, to the chat. Uh, you're, well, I was hoping you'd be able to call in, but he, we, he, he just missed it, so he's probably missing the audio as well. Darn it! Wish I would have caught him. He just got in towards the the end of the show, where unfortunately no one else can call in. Wow, this, that was a fast two hours. I cannot believe we've gone through two hours already. But anyway, is that there? There we go. Yeah, Tulsi Gabbard, and I'm, I mean, I don't like all of Tulsi Gabbard's policies, but. You know, I, I mean, she, she is supportive of the space program, which I like. She is supportive of the military, uh, which I like. Again, I wouldn't vote for over Trump, um, but you know. But anyway, I mean, it, that would be that would be a, a, a nice scenario for uh, her to come in as a party. If be like, look, I can't. You know, in her thinking, maybe not that she'd make this public, but you know what? I can't stand uh, Hillary Clinton so bad, you know, and I still got some supporters. Uh, because she does have two delegates, right? Uh, for her to be like, look, I'm just going to run as a third party candidate and take take uh, votes away from Hillary Clinton. I still think there's still plenty of people who don't like who don't like Hillary. Um, plus, I, I, that, that would I mean, I, I, I was, you know, happening to hear Hillary Clinton for 2016's campaign was was enough for my ears. Uh, I don't know if I can I don't know if I could stomach another another campaign with her, but. Is it a possibility? I think it's a distinct possibility uh, that that they may do that, especially if Biden keeps showing that he just may not have, you know, as, as we put it, you know, he just might not have, uh, you know, the, the the mental fortitude uh, to be able to uh, put up with the mental rigors of running for president, or and of course even being president. Uh, and what, what what's your thoughts on those scenarios, Joseph? Well, first and foremost, uh, Tulsi Gabbard as a congresswoman has a 90% approval rating in the state of Hawaii. So she's by far one of the most popular congresswomen to have ever served in the state of Hawaii and the most popular congresswoman currently and was successfully reelected last year uh, to Congress. Uh, Number two, interesting that you bring up Tulsi Gabbard because right before your show was beginning, she was actually on Fox on the Ingram angle, and she was talking about how she was the anti-establishment candidate and how the DNC establishment are against her. So now I'm starting to connect the dots here. You've opened my mind to a theory that I've just put out here. So – a, everyone is wondering why is Tulsi Gabbard still in the race, right? Uh, she has no pathway, but she's still in the race. A, I right. think right. she's building a name for herself, and she's using the most powerful platform of doing it, painting herself as Trump was in 2015 the anti-establishment candidate. B, she was 
the co-chairwoman, former of the of the DNC back in 2015, and a lot of Democrats were on her side because even though they were not all in agreement with Bernie Sanders, they did not like the shaft that the DNC, the corrupt DNC, did to Bernie Sanders. And what they did was wrong. You don't have to like Bernie. You don't have to agree with him, but at least admit the truth. He was given the shaft, and he was wrong, and he was done by a corrupt chairwoman of the DNC, and as former co-chairwoman at the time, Tulsi Gabbard, she was the only one to call out the party on that and say, shame on us as the progressive party. What have we come to? We've always had nominees that we didn't agree with or candidates, but when, when have we ever stooped to this level to uh, use corruption to sway the nominee to a, to, to, to a different candidate, you know? So she got a lot of sympathy because of that uh, back in 2015. A lot of, and, and that's one of the main reasons why Hillary had very high unfavorables as the nominee. Um, number two, interesting fact, Tulsi Gabbard was one of three Democrats in the House who she actually abstained from the vote the only Democratic member out of the three to abstain from the vote. So at the end of the day, that's a brilliant move because history is going to be on her side later on that she put partisan politics to the side and voted her conscience and voted the right way. So I see Tulsi Gabbard no way is going to get in this race because she knows she does not conform to this party. And she's out there on Fox. She's out there on, on the demonic channel that the mainstream media trash. She's out there for a reason. I think she's out there because I think she's going to be the standard bearer for 2024. Because I think in 2020, once Democrats lose, they'll have no choice but to have a reality check. And they'll have no choice but to come to terms and say, we got to go back to the center. Who do we have who's a known polarizing figure? who's already has name recognition, Tulsi Gabbard. You'd be surprised. I think in 2020, that's when they ditch Hillary to the side and say, Hillary is no longer popular for our narrative. We need to focus on 2024. We need to be on Tulsi Gabbard's side. So I think Tulsi Gabbard is definitely going to be a staple of the Democratic Party conforming because history has shown, and I said this last time on your show, you know, remember the Democratic Party was once the party of slavery. They were the they were the they were the Confederacy. Those were Demo- that that was the Democratic Party. They were the party of segregation in 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 the 1930s, 40s, 50s, and 60s with poses of civil rights. They used to call them the Dixiecrats. They were the party of uh, one of the worst foreign policies in United States history during the Carter administration. There were times when the Democratic Party was in the abyss. And many people thought, okay, this is the end of the Dems. They're never going to recover from this. They're never going to turn the other direction. But remarkably, history has shown they have been able to. And so right now, this communist, socialist, slash division within the party, after 2020, they are going to be forced to wake up because that is when the progressive base is going to put their feet to the fire, only too late. It'll come at the expense of Trump being elected, 
And I'll leave you with one more thing, Robert. The difference between the GOP base and the progressive base is the GOP and conservatives, we have the guts to call out our own party when we don't agree with them. The difference is the progressives right now, they're sitting in the wings in silence. They are the only people that if they wanted to right now, had they intervened at the beginning of this election, had they rallied against a strong moderate like Joe Manchin, had they moved to the center after 2016 and eradicated any candidate that would espouse uh, socialism or Medicare for all like Elizabeth Warren, AOC, had they just done the right things they did, like they did to get the party to Bill Clinton, like they did to create the Blue Dog Democrats back in the early 90s, you know what? We'd be talking about a different ball game today. It would be fair to say that Trump would have a fight on his hands. But they failed to take those preventative steps and measures. They failed to wake up in 2016. I guarantee you 2020 is their wake-up call. Tulsi Gabbard is their savior waiting in the wings. And the only thing that makes logical sense, why is she still in the race at 1%? She's a brilliant strategist. And the fact that she is building name recognition on a platform that is costing her nothing, and she is gaining empathy, and she's showing that she can call it down the line fairly on both sides of the fence, She's not afraid to go on Fox because that is what made Bill Clinton so popular. It is the fact that Bill Clinton, even though he had to be jolted by Newt Gingrich, regardless, at the end of the day, he was able to put partisan politics aside and vote as a centrist and go to the center and pivot and change and do what was in the best interest of the country not by choice, I don't think. Uh, I think it was to save his political future and legacy, which he was able to do. However, you know, that's what I envisioned the Democratic Party to be after 2020. And Tulsi Gabbard is their only person in the wings, uh, along with Joe Manchin, that would be capable of moving the party back to the center. They'll have no other choice, Robert. No other choice. I, yeah, I, that's I what I was going to Go ahead, Suzette. No, no, go ahead. I'll, I'll <laughs> just to make this real quick comment and then get you know, that. As, as, that was, and actually, I was going to ask a question. Do you think that the Democrats after 2020 will, will move more towards the center? And, and you already answered that because the, the, you answered well, – I didn't ask, but you pretty much brought, it, brought up that, yeah, that's what they're going to do is going to move to the center after 2020. Go ahead, Suzette. I was just going to say I, I, I don't think so uh, as far as moving to the center. Um, their their party, I don't know what's going to happen with their party. They're so, as they say, fractured in the sense of the Democrat moderates and the Democrat progressives, and then you have the extremists, the far left of the party. And so there you've got three separate factions that are fighting within one party. And so I don't know where it's going to go. Um, as far as... Um, Progressive scoping, waiting in the wings, I would say it was the moderates that didn't say step up and say anything. The progressives are the ones moving with Bernie Sanders and are moving that movement, as, as they say. Um, but Tulsi Gabbard, I really liked her up until the point, uh, I guess it was the beginning of 2016, when she flip-flopped 
with her beliefs as far as she was raised in the church, a uh, religious person and this and that. So she didn't um, she didn't make her her self known or her you know I don't know her thoughts known as far as the gay community goes. Um, but once they found out, I guess she had said something a long time ago. People brought it up. And up until that point, she had had that belief about gay marriage. And then she switched. And she said, I'm really sorry. I apologize. Uh, you know, I've had some time to think about it. And I really don't, I guess I don't see anything wrong with it. Um, I just don't want to offend anybody. But those were my beliefs, and now they're not. And so... For that reason, a lot of people had started to turn against her. Um, and I believe that her, as far as she loves the country and she wants to see it go in the right direction, but I think she's missing direction because sometimes she's right on as far as calling people out as she sees it, and that's, I believe, because it's a part of her and, and you know, she's not going to try and sweep anything under the carpet. But I also think that um, perhaps she switched her thoughts on that, and she did actually vote for impeachment, but she talked about not voting for impeachment prior to the impeachment um, vote, and and then she ended up voting for the impeachment. Um, and, and so, so did Manchin, for that matter. Yeah, and she flip-flopped for that. So, uh, she, you know, she does a lot of flip-flopping, so it's, it shows that she's telling the line uh, for the Democrat Party, but they're not responding because, again, she calls things out as she sees them, and so, you know, she when she thinks she's getting traction as far as any support, then something comes back on her. Um, right now, they Hillary Clinton, as um, Robert mentioned, is uh, totally suing her because she was called in a Russian asset by Clinton. And many people believe that she is, <laughs> which is so ridiculous. But uh, also because uh, Tulsi wanted to see for herself what was going on in Syria. She went and met with the people over there on the ground with some other um, congressional people or, you know, members. And um, But she met personally with Assad, and she had talked with him and because she, she wanted to know what was going on. But upon her return, that was it. She's a Russian asset, and so that's what people believe. And so she's going to have a hard time. The moderates are really going to have to come out for her if she's going to have any chance at all. And um, her platform that she's speaking on now and, and um, talking, she got two delegates, and that was from Samoa. People, some people, most people don't even know where Samoa is, unfortunately. And, and it's not to put I her down. I thought that was a Girl Scout cookie. <laughs> <laughs> oh, those are good, too. <laughs> but so, you know, much respect for her because she's battling. And I've always believed that she was a conservative at heart, or even an, an independent for that matter. Um, but again, she's she's just trying to please the wrong party because I think she thinks she can get ahead, and instead of doing just getting out of that party altogether, she's she's not one of them, and that's apparent. But they're not going to let her advance until she becomes one of them. That's well, another good point to another good point to bring up, and I, I mean, is is and this is a question for, for you, Joseph. I mean, I've got mixed mixed thoughts about Tulsi. I would say. I'm 65% on her, um, you know, towards like her. And, and, and two things. One is that I, I agree with you. I, I think as, as quote unquote rising, you know, they, they both parties like to use the term rising star, right. Uh, with, with, with the parties. I mean, I do think at least on the moderate wing, I think there, I think there's two rising stars in the Democrat party and ironic, not ironically, but 
interesting enough, they're both women. And the two rising stars, I think, of the Democrat Party are – and I think one is Tulsi Gabbard, and I think she represents the – the, the moderate wing, and, and I would say – and I don't know if I'd go as far as to call her conservative, maybe in some things. Uh, do I think that maybe she's with the wrong party? That that thought has crossed my mind, and when I've responded to tweets and stuff she's put out, I mean some I, I put that sentiment like, well, maybe you should switch over to the Republican Party, uh, but I, I don't know. I, I don't know if she adheres to the uh, – the Republican Party dogma enough to be considered to consider Republican. I do think she's more Democrat uh, than Republican, but I do think she is a rising star within the Democrat Party. Now, of course, on the flip side, I see uh, another rising star in the Democrat Party, and I can't stand her, but that's AOC. I think she's another rising star of the, 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 the party. I think the other three uh, members of the um, the the clan or band or whatever people call them the squad uh, the squad <laughs> yeah the squad I think the other three are going to fade I think one once you know more people find out about her um, her her marriage to her brother um, then I think she's going to just kind of kind of fade away uh, because of that controversy I think the other two are going to fade away just because you know when it comes to politicians in my humble opinion I think these other two are just shock jocks. Uh, without any kind of real substance to them, uh, but she, she's a force. Um, I, I, now I, I don't really take her seriously because I think she's an idiot. Um, however, you've got enough people who are behind her because she's passionate about her stances. You know, is basically a communist. I think she's a communist. Uh, but uh, there is a, a wing within the Democrat Party, and I would say almost half of it. Um, our car, but they, they, they're communists. I don't even think they're socialists. I think they are communists. And, and I think she's got a rising star now that they get rid of her district that she ends up having uh, uh, 10 bar, which I, I do hope she has to go back in 10 bar because I would love to order a couple uh, uh, named drinks from her. I won't say what they are now, even though we're in bars lots after dark. But, <laughs> but uh, oh, God, I'm going to say it anyway. I, you know what? I would love to go up. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to do it anyway. Well, yeah, that too. But actually, I would love to go up because let's be honest, as honesty goes, uh, Joseph, at least in my opinion, she's not – I mean, I'll give her this. She's not difficult to look at. And <laughs> and, and since I could say this in Bard's Logic after all, I would love to go up to her and say, I'd like to order two slippery nipples. You know, and uh, <laughs> I would just I – I, 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 I don't, and I don't even drink this. Uh, but I would love to see her at a bar. Tanning bar and walk up to her and said, "Yes, I like to order two of your slippery nipples." And so, <laughs> just, I don't know. I just, I would just, love, I would just love to be able to do that. Day, I say. But, oh, uh, but no. on a, on a, on a more serious, I'm halfway serious about that. But on a more serious note, <clears throat> is that if she does, if she is able to withstand, you know, them not get rid of, actually, literally get rid of her seat. Because um, it's redistricting and population things of that nature. Uh, I think she, you know, if the party moves more left, I think she could certainly be a star within there. But if they do go back to the center, which I think that for them to be viable, at least this stage and age, thankfully, uh, that they do need to move more towards the center. And I think Tulsi Gabbard's that person. Personally, I'd rather see Tulsi Gabbard as a Republican. Do I think that's going to happen? And do I think that she, I don't want to say deserves the mantle. 
uh, of a Republican, but I, I don't think that she, again, fits the, um, you know, adheres to the dogma enough to be considered a Republican. I mean, what's your thoughts on on all that, uh, uh, Joseph? She fits the perfect dogma of what the Democratic Party used to be under President Bill Clinton, blue dogs. Uh, they did not support gay marriage. They believed marriage was the sanctity between a man and a woman. Uh, they were not anti-religious. They uh, you know, uh, were not afraid to say, hey, I'm a Christian loving liberal. Um, so I think uh, as Suzette pointed out, the flip-flop, I think a lot of it shows that her original stance is not, you know, not making her stance clear on gay marriage and things like that. Well, you got to remember that a lot of people, well, Suzette does remember because we we're, we only wish we were that young. We wish we were kind of millennials, only in the youth aspect. But we were around <laughs> in the 90s. You know, we were around when the Democratic Party was a party not to reckon with. And we were around, there was a day, I know millennials would, would never believe it if you were to tell a millennial right now that not too long ago in a galaxy far, far away. No, just kidding. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, mm-hmm. The alien thing you were bringing up over there um, made me <laughs> go into Star Wars. I, I, I apologize. Maybe they'll have to come up with a sequel. It's going to be uh, the rise of, uh, of the uh, socialist dead Democratic Party. Because I do believe that AOC is going to be toast. Um, with the defeat of Bernie Sanders, she goes down with it. Everything she stood up for in the, you know, uh, since she's been elected, even going as far as to endorse Bernie Sanders, um, she has no validity anymore. She has no voice. Once Bernie Sanders is distinguished, also goes the very few members of the party, you know, the trio, the three um, people in the party, um, AOC, um, uh, Omar, and I, I forget one other person. I mean, they go down with Bernie. Bernie goes down, so do they. And they're no longer popular anymore. They're no longer going to be the flavor of the month. So, um, yeah, I, I, I do agree. You know, um, put with Suzette, Tulsi Gabbard did flip-flop. But her views that she initially held were the views of the Blue Dog Democrats back in the 90s. That's what made the Democratic Party a force not to reckon with. Um, even when Barack Obama ran in 08, the Democratic Party still believed in the sanctity of a marriage between a man and a woman. And yes, you could go back and pull up YouTube videos, and I think millennials will say, oh, it's a Russian, it, that's a Russian collusion. They, they fabricated that video, they photoshopped <laughs> it. No, Barack Obama read, came out in 2007, and when asked on his views of gay marriage, he says, I support, I support DOMA, which, was, uh, which happened under the Clinton administration, but I still believe that the marriage is between the sanctity of a man and a woman. Yes, Barack Obama did say that in 07 and 08. Mm-hmm. Total capitulation in 2012. So Tulsi Gabbard mm-hmm. aligns with where the Democratic Party used to be, and as a result of that, eight years of President Clinton brought them the most success of any other Democratic administration since post-World War II, even more so than JFK administration, mm-hmm. even though he didn't get to live out his whole uh, full term as he was assassinated. But at the end of the day, why am I so confident that they're going to move back to the center is because history has proven that when the Democrats were more divided than ever, 
they had reality calls or, or wake-up calls where they were forced to come to terms and say, we got to go back to what worked before, and we got to resurge again. And the Democratic Party has always masterfully been able to do that, even though when people have said many times, there's no way they come from the ashes. And so the last time they were successful was when they were to the center. And so I believe that they're going to say, we got to go back to what worked because we just keep losing and this ain't working. We got we to sweep it under the rug because we've done it before. I mean, people thought that they would never forgive the Democratic Party because they were the Confederacy. And then when, you know, Abraham Lincoln was assassinated and, um, you know, the Republican Party wanted to bring everyone together, you know, they were still for many many decades guilt by association oh the democrats they're evil people man they were for slavery they were the confederacy if it was up to them we would have had the we would have had two separate countries they were trying to divide us and then then also many people forget millennials and people who look the other way yes the 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 the, the segregationists the people who were lynching african americans the people who were the ku klux klan leaders they were the dixiecrats yeah, they were mm-hmm. the Democratic Party. Martin Luther mm-hmm. King was a Republican. It was the Republican Party that pushed the Civil Rights Act movement and kind of cajoled it and forced it down LBJ's throat because LBJ didn't want to vote uh, for the Civil Rights Act, didn't want to put it into legislation. He, was, he had his feet put to the fire to do it. He had to be cajoled to do it. So many people forget that the Democratic Party has had many, many um, his points of history where they were so divided, they were completely on the wrong side of the fence. Uh, Many people forget they were the party that initiated the only war in United States history that we never won, which was the Vietnam War. Yes, it was the Democrats, but nonetheless, they have also proven that they have been able to resurge, regroup, form, and conform and become a successful party again. It It just takes them the hard way to do so. And so that's why I have every confidence that after two, uh, after 2020, um, there's going to be so much selective outrage that Trump was reelected again, that they're just going to be forced to have to wake up in every aspect. And I don't just mean the base. I also mean the politicians that are correctly towing the current platform. They're, they're going to have no choice. They know that their party is going to be extinct if they don't pivot. And one thing Democrats have always been great at doing is when people thought they were gone, they were, there was no way they could resurge, they rise from the ashes. And mark my words, 2020, they will rise from the ashes because they have no choice. It's either that or the extinction of their party. And they know there's no chance for 2024. And that means they have to change their whole platform again, which they've done many times in history. They're going to have to change it. But my hunch is they're going to say, from a common sense perspective, we need to go back to what worked. What was the last blueprint of success? And then ask themselves, can we do it? Do we have a couple of moderates that are still not extinct? And they have, we still have Joe Manchin. We still have Tulsi Gabbard. And maybe a couple of names that I just don't know. But there still are some that have been very silent for the past, 10 years. 
Actually, 13 years. The eight years of Obama, the Blue Dog Democrats were either extinct or they were censored. Mark my words, 2020 is the resurgence of the Blue Dog Democrats. It's because it's either that or the progressive base or the liberal base will realize that for the first time in over 220 years, if confederacy didn't bring them to extinction, if segregation didn't bring them to extinction, if the Vietnam War didn't bring them to extinction, well, I guess there's a first for everything. You would think that those dirty parts of their history would have put them out of business. Would have did what the what it did to the Whigs. Would have right. eliminated the party from existence. I mean, my God. I mean, if you look back, I tell people, do you not realize that you can just racist? This was the party that if they had it their way today, African Americans would be in the cotton fields and we would be a, they they would have their own country. Do you not realize that? Do you not realize that? How could you not see that? How could you not study the history of your party? How could you not realize that they were the ones lynching African Americans in in the 1920s and 30s and 40s under the banner of the Democratic Party? How can you not see that? How can you not see that they initiated one of the most deadliest wars in history that we didn't even win? We came out looking like a bunch of idiots. It was the Democratic Party. It was the it was the Democrats. So they've had many, many ugly chapters where you would say, I think many historians would have said, by all counts, that should have put them out of business. But it didn't. So that's why I think 2020, wake up call, they got to go back to what works. They do still have a few blue, de- uh, uh, blue dog Democrats left. Very few. All they need is the foundation to start building up from there. Well, yeah, I think yeah. I think you're gonna have to go. Oh, go ahead, Suzette. No, go ahead, Robert. Really seriously, go ahead. No, as you said, I mean, I think they they are gonna have to reevaluate and do something if they want to still be a viable party uh, within the United, you know, within the United States. And yeah, I mean, they they might have to go back and and of course, I think that's gonna throw back their their globalist <laughs> agenda, and I, I think that's what it really is. Um, and you know, the, uh, and that's why I think they've been pushing. I think under Obama, they thought, man, we could do this. We can finally get this done. We've been trying to do this for 40 years. Well, then Trump's elected, and that kind of pushed it back. So I think it's going to maybe push back their, their movement to want to uh, to do that. Probably another eight years, um, or if not more. I mean, 12 years because if we have another four years of Trump, and then maybe another eight years of a, you know, the pendulum swings, right? Uh, you know the the Democrats, which who knows very well, uh, you know may be a, um, uh, and you know Tulsi Gabbard, but I I think an interesting ticket actually for 2024 for the Democrats it would be very just that a uh, a Gabbard Mansion ticket that that would be um, certainly an interesting ticket 2024. I mean, and, and whoever the Republicans, I mean, I mean after Trump, I mean that's another question. People are like. Well, after Trump, after four years, who's he going to put? You know, who would you know step in to take his place? I mean, my hope uh, was uh, Matt Bevin, who we've had on the show a number of times. Of course, you know he's not governor anymore, but that's who I was kind of hoping. See, at least business-wise, he's kind of in the same vein uh, as Trump. So I thought maybe he would be able to be the one to take the reins. But I mean, after that loss to Kentucky and then the controversy with his pardons. 
uh, that he did, then no, I, I think that that ship has sailed, as, as they state. Um, but anyway, so I mean, that who knows? Maybe that would be uh, what the ticket was. And, and, and I want to get a get you, uh, Susan. But then after that, uh, I want to get what you know, what your thoughts on Yang. Um, I mean, do you think Yang is more you know actually a Democrat? Do you think he's more of a, a socialist? I mean, I know he doesn't play a part now. I mean, I don't, he's not even in the running. But if we're talking about something in four years, I mean, until he did run for president of the Democrats, uh, you know, just kind of what your thoughts. Uh, and I guess this is after Suzette, but what your thoughts are on him and whether he's got a future, uh, maybe even a presidential future with the Democrat Party, you know, maybe in, in 2024, or, or maybe as uh, somebody suggested earlier tonight, um, a Gabbard Yang, uh, you know, ticket maybe 2024. But uh, first, for answering that, Joseph, uh, let's go ahead and go to uh, your, your comments you want to do there, Suzette. Go ahead. <coughs> Excuse me. Oh, uh, well. Um... I read recently, uh, it's called Stanford PAC. It's part of the university, Stanford University. And their new strategy, of the Stanford PAC is also an activist group, uh, and they say so on their website. And so a recent paper was published about how progressives and the left don't win elections. And the reason why is because conservatives um, don't agree with you know, their agenda. And so the thought was throughout the paper, and it even said that, that they need to frame their candidates, um, you know, campaign differently to appear, to frame their campaign as though uh, they were conservative values and agendas that they were putting out to manipulate the wording, uh, to include God, to include the values of conservatives um, and that would be the only way that they could start winning elections. I just about <laughs> flipped over <laughs> and just was like, what? Okay, I kind of saw this coming uh, because the fact that uh, they were, I saw a few um, Republicans doing that. They call themselves Republicans, but then, you know, basically Democrats in sheep's clothing. And so to actually see it written and published and um, and going to be used in upcoming elections here uh, to frame progressive candidates to be more conservative and so that they can appeal to the conservative base. So with that said, if the party does appear to be moderate, (laughs) they won't be moderate in the true sense of moderation. And it will only be because their candidates will start speaking, um, you know, what are these key words or trigger words that will interest conservatives? So, so to speak, I don't, I don't think that conservatives will fall for it, but I don't know. Who, who knows? Um, the blue dogs that you're speaking about, Joseph, um, you were absolutely right. And many Democrats claim that the Democrat Party left them, and that's because they were taken over basically by elitists. And these elitists are just concerned about the power and the money mostly about the power, and there, I think, are too many of them still that are in there. They're dying off now because they'll never leave office as long as they can continue to run for office. <laughs> and, and so once they start dying off and the new, they get new candidates in there and they stri- try the strategy, um, that won't last for very long either. But there is a progressive movement that wants to actually continue on this path of um, progressivism, socialism, communism, uh, because that's the way they were brought up. They don't know anything else. 
And so we're in for um for a rocky road, I think, coming up here with these next few elections to see what happens. But I, I don't re- I don't believe they'll ever return back to the blue dog. It'll just continue to either go further left or um or stay on the path that they're on, which is just a wheel to power and money. Back to you, Robert. Yeah, and I mean, if you want, um, and then I want to slide it over to you, Joseph, on, on what your thoughts are, you know, you know, with with uh, with Yang, and do you think that, you know, is, is he, you know, viable in four years as possibly, you know, to, to run again, maybe even for president or vice president, or or if, if he's more in, in line of like a, a Bernie Sanders than a, is he closer to an ideology than a Bernie Sanders than a Tulsa D. Abbott? Well, my first impression of uh, Yang is, first of all, he was the only one on the stage besides Tulsi Gerbert who actually had the guts to say many times on the record, to call out the base and say, you know what, instead of us talking about impeachment and how horrible Trump is, if we don't start talking about real solutions and have a real platform and we don't start uniting our base, you know what? All we're going to be doing for the next four years is talking about Trump when he gets reelected. We need to wake up and we need to start talking about the issues that matter and stop talking about our obsession with impeachment and with uh, Trump deranged syndrome. Yeah, he actually said that. And people were like, holy, did he really say? He did. And then it reminded me that's why the Blue Dog Democrats were a, a force not to reckon with. They were masterful campaigners. They knew how to throw the jab, and when they didn't, when they didn't, when they didn't like things in the party or what other politicians said, they were not afraid to pull the punches. Back then, they were not the PC police that Barack Obama infiltrated into the party, where everything had to be politically correct. Back then, the Blue Dog Democrats, they didn't care to be politically correct. They didn't like something. They just came out and said, hey, I don't like it, and they threw the punches, so – Yang strikes me as someone who is strong-minded, but at the same time, he was offering $1,000 per month to every American period, no matter what tax bracket you were. So his ideology is still to the left. And Suzette is a breath of fresh air, by the way, to have on the show. Um, I really enjoy having her on. But one thing why I still disagree with her about her not thinking they're going to move to the center is I love history. I'm a history buff. And I got to be honest, I'm, uh, I don't know everything about history, but what I've studied, um, I love to study wars. And, and the wars that I've studied the most about was were the Civil War and uh, World War One and World War Two. For some reason, I'm, I'm drawn to them. And I actually like to watch a lot of films that they, they have about them. My favorite film is Gettysburg and then Glory. Um, you got to remember democratic ideology for about since since America became a country, since the Constitution, since we became a sovereign nation. Their ideology was they were the party of slavery. So was their base. And when kids were were growing up, they were molded to think that colors, back then they call them colors, colors have no rights. They're not created equal by God. You know, they, 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 had, they, don't, they don't apply to the Constitution. And they were raised that way. They were molded that way. They were molded from kids to hate African-American people, to regard them as nothing more as 
tools and slaves with no rights that could be bought, and and they picked the cottons and also reminded them that they were a big part of their economy. Cotton was a big part of the Southern economy, of the Democratic Party, of the Democratic wing. So they molded their kids into the next generation of Democratic voters who for nearly, um, you know, for almost nearly 100 years told the line of the next generation and the next generation after that, this is our platform. We are for slavery. No, African-Americans have no rights. No, they're not privileged to the Constitution. No, our founding fathers were not trying to include them in them. All men are created equal. No. So, I mean, you had 100 years of that. You only have 10 years espousing socialism. If that was able to be extinguished, and that took a lot of work for the, the, the uh, former Democratic Party who – who were the con- who supported the Confederacy? Who were the Confederacy? It took a lot of rebuilding and a lot of that to extinguish that, and they were still be able to do. They still were able to do that, and they were able to toe the line, and they had to change their whole platform. They had no choice. I mean, they were almost on the brink of extinction. Uh, what they changed, so Joseph, I'm sorry, pardon me for interrupting, but what they yeah. changed was is the fact that they rewrote history. If you remember, during the 2016 election, they were saying that the Republicans were the uh, party of slavery. So there were a lot of confused people out there. I remember having to explain a lot and having, you know, um, resources for these people to check out to see that this was the truth, Absolutely. that it was the Democrat Party. So You're you know, so right. In 2015... <laughs> You're absolutely right. Suzette is right. In 2015, and even before that, even when Gore was running against uh, Bush in 2000, that's when they started to, you know, start towing that line for the first time. They didn't have to do that for the first two terms of Bill Clinton. That's when they started, you know, gradually, not overnight, but when they gradually just started to open the door to that of painting Republicans and reversing history. Um, as uh, we're the racist party, we're the party of slavery. And it's like, no, hello, go to a library, open a book. I don't think so. No, that, that, that's not true. But then again, they started towing that line more even so when George W. Bush did get elected and, and they called him Hitler and, you know, not as bad as Trump, but they still said pretty malicious things about him saying that he was another Hitler, and, you know, I can go on and on, but, you know, there's not much time left in the show. But remember that that was the last era of success for the Democrats. That was the Clinton administration. And the Clinton administration, you didn't have any Democrats even opening the door to that, because back then that would be political suicide for the Dems. They were successful. They didn't need to do anything that would taint that. They didn't need to do that. But after 2000, Gore didn't win, Bush got in, different story, Uh, Democrats did what they do best. They flip-flopped, and they swept it under the rug. The point I'm trying to make is that throughout history, they have shown that they have had the ability, even under the worst of circumstances, to change the party platform and conform to avoid extinction, because after the Civil War, they were on the brink of extinction. Uh, After the Civil Rights Act was passed, they were on the brink of extinction. 
uh, after the Vietnam War and the weakest foreign policy of any Democratic president in the history of the party, Jimmy Carter, they were many times on, 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 you know, on life support. But they have shown that they ha- were able to pivot, and they have been able to do so before. And if they can come back from that, which is ten times worse than espousing socialism and communism – Oh, believe me, they'll they'll come back because they have no other choice. And truth be told, the majority of um, Democrats who are supporting uh, Biden are not millennials. Bernie Sanders is doing best along amongst Latino voters and millennial voters, but Biden is succeeding in getting the higher demographics and and uh, uh, ranges of ages that are not millennials if that is not an eye-opener. So interesting tidbit there. Um, and I, I defer back to you, Robert, on that. And, and I agree with you completely with you, Suzette. Um, they've been towing that line for almost 20 years now and trying to rewrite history. And they've done that plenty of times before, trying to sweep it under the rug and, and paint us as, as, you know, put it on us that we were the ones that did it. No, we didn't. We didn't. We embraced as Republicans, the Civil Rights Movement. Uh, Martin Luther King was a registered Republican for the life of God. It was Republican lawmakers that had to put LBJ's feet to the fire and force him, force his hands to pass the Civil Rights Act and his party. They still didn't want to pass it by 1965. So yes, the Democrats do a brilliant job of sweeping their dirty laundry under the rug. But like I said before, the easiest thing to do is to distort the truth. The hardest thing to do is to refute it. And what liberals are best at these days is turning the other cheek and looking the other way because their narrative. It never has. It never will. And they know it, and they're in denial. And like the movie A Few Good Men, they can't handle the truth. Well, then there's a lot of you know, talk tonight about um, Lisa's section of the show about flip-flopping. And I would just like to say that you know, bringing in AOC back into the the conversation is I, I, I wouldn't mind seeing her in a pair of flip flops for you know. But anyway, I, again, I digress um, about AOC. <laughs> Listen, I, I, mean, I, I can't stand I, I can't stand her politics, but I do find her quite attractive. <laughs> well, being a bartender at one time, going to college, I had to pay for my schooling. Um, you know. We did have a job, uh, a drink called the blowjob. So you might ask, can I order two blowjobs, please? Oh my gosh! There you go. Well, how about you know what? I'm, I, I'm like, oh, there you go. I get to be welcome to the bar. You know, oh, can I help you? Yes. Uh, can I have two of your slipper nipples and a bowl at a blowjob, please? <laughs> <laughs> Roger, and I, you, you may and, you may confront yourself with a few bouncers at that point that may say, uh, yeah, I maybe. I, 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 especially especially when I offer my tip. <laughs> Uh, he's actually uh, moved on. 
Uh, he's doing he's back into the entrepreneurship thing again, and he's running a pilot program. I believe I believe it's in Pennsylvania, but I can't be for sure on that. And what it is is um, he has investors um, that they're running. They're going to be running a, a pilot coming up here soon uh, with a thousand dollar universal income um, to you know families out in that area or the area that they're going to do it in to see how it goes. And it's a pilot program that he believes um, heavily in and that um, if he can't be president and he really doesn't want to go through all that again, uh, that he can find alternative ways to do what he wants to do without being encumbered uh, by policies, rules, and, and anything else that would bind him from doing what he wants to do to help people. So I thought that was interesting. He was, uh, had an interview uh, on CBS. Well, I mean, if you want to do it, I mean, let's use his own money, and you know, I mean, I mean, and to be honest with me, I, I like the idea of getting an extra thousand dollars a month for whatever. Of course, but uh, for yeah. doing absolutely nothing, but. Well, but just like on the surface, you know, and, and on the surface, and I've said this for years and years because they've been talking about it for years and years. Uh, on the surface, I think you know. Healthcare for all, and everyone having healthcare, you know, and, and even you know maybe state colleges uh, being the same as you know public schools today. I mean, I can see where those could possibly be good ideas. However, when you bring realism into the into the picture, uh, then it, it's just it's just not feasible. <laughs> I mean, if you can make it work. And it's actually good health care, and it's available to folks. I mean, yeah, I mean, I think it would be a good idea. But the point, but the, the the reality of it is, is it's untenable. It's unsustainable. You know, they like to put, you know, the, they like to use that term. Um, I, I just don't see how it can work, um, and be and be and be paid for without without destroying the economy. And there's plenty of folks, including myself. Who I mean I, I you know I like the healthcare that you know at least well at least that my daughter's on because she I mean she's you know she got really good healthcare and mine's not as good but but it's still better than I would say you know Obamacare or anything of that nature uh, I just don't think that uh, I, I just don't think it'd be done I mean that as a concept I mean yeah great uh, but mm-hmm. but as uh, but in a, as a matter of practicality. I, I mean, I just don't think it's feasible. I don't understand why in the, that it has to be or that people are asking for it on a federal level when states are perfectly capable of doing it on their own. Romney proved that in Massachusetts. You know, their, people can vote for it and they can make their state, you know, where everybody has health care and not affect anybody else as far as the rest of the 49 states. Um, so this whole business about universal health care, well, you can have it just you know, talk to your governor, talk to your legislators about it. <laughs> um, and right, yeah, it would be a, sta- a state issue, right. Well, yeah. I kind and of feel, I mean, I, I think the same thing about, you know, about abortion. I mean, one, I mean, not to belabor too much of of, of, of that topic, it's not what we're really talking about tonight. And we, it, you pointed out uh, uh, correctly, Joseph, we are kind of running out of time, so we have to get ready to close things off, um, actually, pretty soon. Uh, is that be up to the states, let people vote with their feet, um, you know, on whether something like that is 
uh, is legal or not. Now, I, I mean, I personally do. I mean, I personally think it is. You're killing a baby. I do find it utterly ironic. And then after this, I'll, I'm going to open up the floor for your closing comments. But I find it utterly ironic that you have conservatives who are fighting harder to save liberal babies' lives than, literal, than liberals are, which I find kind of ironic. Um, but anyway, <laughs> that is, I, I guess that shows the, uh, you know, the character of uh, conservatives uh, compared to liberals, I guess. Uh, but uh, and it is unfortunately there's time for closing comments where each person's got a, meh, about a couple minutes for closing comment uh, for this evening. And so uh, Joseph, if you'd like to closing uh, some closing comments, and then yourself, Suzette. Uh, man, this, this this show did went uh, went by really quick. And so uh, we'll have to go ahead and get ready to close things out. So Joseph, uh, we give the floor over to you. Absolutely. Um, so um, I'd like to leave it to um, – I look forward to chiming in next week, and uh, let's see what what revelations will come about the Democratic debate that's going to occur on, on Sunday. But there is one uh, thing, uh, a topic of interest uh, that I hope we can go more into detail with next week that we really didn't get to go in, and is that the base that is favoring Bernie Sanders are millennials and the Latino vote. He has the Latino vote overwhelmingly. The base that is favoring Biden is the African-American votes and the generation that is uh, that are not millennials. Very interesting. And it could give an insight as to where the thought process uh, and, and, and the reason why Bernie Sanders espouses his particular platform uh, versus Biden, but very interesting because uh, those are two important demographics that the Democratic base has always been very successful at, is Latino and African-American turnout, but now we have a divide. The Latinos are not supporting Biden. They're overwhelmingly keeping Sanders on life support and the millennials versus the African-Americans are keeping Biden in the game, and anyone who is the generation after the millennials are keeping Biden in the game. Another great show, Suzette, always a pleasure. Uh, Dr. Tolberg, I'm glad you were able to come on. My prayers and thoughts are with you and your family and, and hope that you are safe in Venezuela and look forward to your show next week and uh, many more to come. Thank you. Thank you very much. Uh, looking forward to hearing back from you again. And uh, go ahead, Suzette, and I'll have to close things out myself. Thank you, Joseph. That was uh, uh, very nice of you to say, and I enjoyed the conversation as well. And, uh, yes, Dr. Tolbert, prayers are definitely with you. And one more thing. Also, um, if anybody needs any supplies, you can always get a hold of me <laughs> um, through my show on Spreaker. Um, my email is on there if you need me to mail you anything. Um, President Trump Thank is handling you. the um, virus just fine, uh, and I don't have any complaints with that. I think he's doing a good job to the best of his abilities that what it can do right now. And, um, yeah, we'll just have to keep an eye out for the election. I think um, the only reason why um, Bernie would lose it is just because uh, millennials have a tendency not to actually show up to vote, whereas the older voters and the black voters will show up to vote for Biden. And I think that's a lot of where the numbers are maybe fluctuating, um, besides the fact that Barack Obama had called Amy Klobuchar and Buttigieg and told them they needed to back Biden <laughs> the night before the, the uh Super Tuesday, so that was interesting. Anyway, thank you very much, everybody, and um, 
God bless America. God bless you all, and we'll talk to you soon. Back to you, Robert. Thank you very much. That is interesting. I mean, I'll be honest with you. It's, I, I didn't hear that uh, that Biden, not Biden, that uh, Obama reached out to them about them supporting uh, supporting Biden. I, that, this is actually the first I've I've heard of that. So that's definitely uh, that's definitely pretty interesting. So yeah, lo- looking forward to uh, to next week. You never know what, uh, and I definitely want to talk more about that, uh, Joseph. Certainly, so I definitely want to bring that up. Uh, and discuss that tomorrow night. Uh, tomorrow night, I mean next week. And of course, we will be talking about the uh, the debate, and you know, of course, other uh, current events and news. Uh, but I will have to uh, close out tonight, as I do every night, and that is with the song by Aubrey Ashburn. And uh, she's not doing the singing as much now; she's doing art. But uh, one day I'll be able to get, get one of those pieces. So anyway, uh, good night, folks. Take care, and we'll see you next week. Thank mm-hmm. you.